Hey, it's the Rad Snowboarding Podcast, and I'm the host, Eric Trollson. Rad is sponsored by Wired Snowboards. This week, Wired's giving one lucky winner a custom graphic snowboard hand-built in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. And I'm stoked to announce that we've only got 12 spots left out of 50 in the raffle. So if you want to win a Chase Series, you know, that PAL board I was talking about all last year that I couldn't stop riding even in the summer because it rips on groomers even, or any other model that Wired offers, join the raffle at Waffle House of Snowboards on Facebook. More information at the end of the show. We're also supported by the Boardroom Snowboard Shop. They've got locations in Vancouver and North Vancouver. You can go to boardroomshop.com and check out everything that they sell. Dekine Outerwear sponsored the show this year. They gave me a bunch of stuff to wear. I've already tried it out. It's amazing. And they gave us some backpacks, one of which will be given away in that snowboard raffle I was just talking about. Also, I want to mention Tribute Board Shop in Nelson, B.C. Those guys are awesome, too. Oh, yeah, they give us a hoodie that I'm going to give away at the end of that raffle if the raffle sells the 50 tickets, which I think it's going to do. Support also comes from Grouse Mountain, the peak of Vancouver. They open today for the 2018-2019 season. So head up to Grouse, ride some park stuff built by Marcus and the park crew up there. Always a fun time up Grouse. All right, let's start the show. It was a totally fun time, didn't get too gnarly. I kind of look at the Mystery Air as an improved evolution of the Switchblade. Snowboarding is ours. And obviously I like working with Burton. As an old school snowboarder, you get so used to being treated as a second class citizen. And I was like, how do you spell your last name? He's like, K-E-L-L-Y. And I was like, oh, we should get married. And he's like, no, too symmetrical. This week's guest is a man boy, Chris Rasman. He's also a pro snowboarder, very talented, and he's also a hell of a nice guy to talk to. I tracked him down up in Whistler, drove my electric car up there, made it up on one charge, plugged it in, and charged it while we were talking. It was all full up for the ride back home. I made it back home with like 50k of range on the thing, which the drive back home was downhill, so that's dope. I'm, I'm really excited about having a car that doesn't take any gas. It's going to save me some cash for sure. Chris Rasman has a lot of followers. So I imagine a lot of you guys are new to the show. So welcome. I interview important snowboarders every week. I put out an episode on Wednesdays. You can go through our archives and, and listen to interviews with really important people from the snowboard industry. Chris is the youngest that I've ever interviewed. And, uh, we have a really great conversation about a whole lot of topics so strap in and get ready for Chris Rasmus. This is this is Joe Rogan style. Yeah, but it's this like is, yeah, like it, pro podcast. Gear. Yeah, yeah. Like Sweet. I'm pretty sure these mics are like 800 bucks, brand new. It seems like, but they're only 150. Okay, <laughs> this is the only expensive thing. It's like, fuck, I don't know. It's supposed to be like 600 bucks. I think I got it for 300 on Craigslist. I'm a low baller, dude. Nicely <laughs> done. You're hustling and bustling. I'm a hustler on Craigslist. My kid, my even my kids are starting to get into it. My kids will be. They know if they want something, they'll like check it out on Craigslist because they know if I can get a deal on it, I'll buy it for them. Yeah, you know, like oh, dad, dad, you know, look, yeah. check it out, check it out. Totally, that's epic. So you were talking. I don't. I don't know how we should start this. We should probably talk about. Yeah, like I like to start them at the beginning, but I'd love to talk about your guys's podcast too, and then we can like circle around. 
Yeah. When did that start? Like it started about a year or a year and a half ago or something? <clears throat> yeah. I, maybe even two years ago. I think we started it around the time we were working on the Man Boys movie. Um, how it started, we were like talking about it like, oh, we should do a podcast. Like a bunch of us were listening to Joe Rogan and Serial and, you know, just the popular podcast that, yeah. you know, that was like, I feel like two or three years ago was kind of when po- Apple podcasts started to really blow up and get on people's radar. They weren't totally. new, but they really started to take like a, whoa, these things are great. Good way to soak up information. So we were kind of talking about it, shooting the idea around. And then finally, Rusty, without telling any of us, just posted on the Instagram, on the Man Boys Instagram, that we were going to be doing a podcast. And it was like, hey, guys, Man Boys podcast is starting. Like, subscribe here. Like, first one coming soon. And we were all like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. <laughs> like you didn't tell any of us. And he, then we, so we all messaged him like, dude, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I just figured this would never happen if we kept on talking about it. So I just thought I'd light the fire under all our asses and get it started. And so Rusty just recorded one solo in his truck on the way back to Vancouver Island, like the summer that he was building his house there so dope. and just answered a bunch of questions that people sent in. And then, yeah, after that he like bought like good mics for it. And we kind of just started recording stuff. And I was like, my idea was to do it free form unedited style. Cause I was a fan of Joe Rogan. So I was like, let's just talk to people. We'll get snowboard guests on snowboard related guests and we'll just shoot the shit for an hour two hours, three hours, whatever. And, it's, yeah. it's perfect mm-hmm. for after if you've been on the hill all day or you've been out wherever totally and you come home and you guys just peel off the gear and hang out in the living room yeah. shooting the shit that's it's awesome it's easy you just have a couple of beers everyone kind of just lets loose and I, I like it because you do get some rambling on when you do interviews that style but you also get no bullshit it's like straight up free form interview it's you know it's organic it's real you kind of get a glimpse on the person's personality and no, it's just fun. I try just to try and not know about the like ignore the mics and just talk. Yeah, know? yeah. I tried. I tried unedited. Actually, sorry, no. I tried editing first. Yeah. So like the first couple of episodes I put out, I didn't even have my own voice in them. I right. just was like cutting out all the questions, cutting out everything, and no just way. putting out just like what the other person said. Crazy. And it didn't make any sense. Some of them were like, if you go back, they're still up. They don't make any sense. It's just like somebody. Do they feel unnatural? Kind oh, of? so unnatural, right? Yeah. But like what happens when you start editing, and I'm sure you've, you've done this for movies and for video parts, like the first time you edit, you kind of go over it, do a rough edit, and you you chop it down to what you think it's going to be. And by the time you get to the finished product, it's so whittled down to like, you know, like a 20 second clip is like two seconds. Yeah. And so in audio, it's, it's so tiring. Is it, is it more so in that in audio? Because Ugh. you, cause that, cause with video, that's obviously, that's totally how it goes. Like you you have a huge freaking timeline and yeah. it gets narrowed down to this tiny little thing. But I can imagine in a, conversation or in an interview especially if you if you're with a talkative person like myself you're probably just like just like sifting through hours of conversation well the thing is i wouldn't really edit it much out of other people's i would just edit myself out so i would talk like this going on and on and on and then i'd ask like 18 questions in my in my ramble and then they would go uh and they would start to answer something but whatever I asked them that they answered, that would become the little clip that I put in blur. before, right? Like, yeah. Instead of me going on and on. Uh, it just, Sean Johnson, or sorry, Sean Kern said that he wouldn't be edited, 
It's just kind of his persona, you know. He didn't want to be edited? He said, I don't want to be edited. And I was like, well, I don't really edit like that. Like, it's not like I cut things together. So, you know, I hate fucking whatever becomes I love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. But um, he did me a huge favor because he forced me to just put my unedited voice in there. And when when I put that one out, I thought people were going to scream bloody murder and be like, God, shut that guy up. Right. And they didn't. Were you a bit nervous about putting it out? You're like, ah. A little, but I knew the content was good. Yeah. Like, I knew it was better than anything that I'd done before with trying to edit shit out that I'm embarrassed of. Because most of the stuff I'm embarrassed of is pretty important to the conversation. Otherwise, the conversation just switches without any notice. Yeah. It's so weird. But, yeah, it's kind of like I've talked to a lot of people about it, the imposter syndrome. You know, we talked with Jess. I talked with Jess Camara. And she's constantly... Big fan, by the way. Yeah, and she's constantly, you know, looking at her life through the lens of, like, nobody's going to want to see this. Yeah. And it's like, are you shitting me? I used to live across the street from Jess before she before she blew up. And yeah. there was this... It was She lived in this French house where, like, before any of these guys blew up, it was like Dave Melisson lived there. Obviously, everyone knew who he was already, but then it was, like, Ben Bloke, uh, LNP... Um, wow. a, whole, a whole bunch of that, that like French crew before yeah. they were like they lived across the street from the art barn and and that's how I met Jess and I remember always really liking her but just being like damn that girl's always so hard on herself like, really she was always like she always had like an injury she was dealing with and she was always just like pe- had the like people hate me vibe and it was like kind of hard to watch because I was like you're really it, you know back then I was just like I don't know you're a really good snowboarder for a chick it's kind of yeah <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah that yeah. was in my head and I was like. She was she, she was so hard bla- on herself, and then yeah. she just blew up. She was blazing a path too that hadn't really been like her street part. I forget what one it was that blew up like crazy, and she won part of the year. Yeah, and, uh, that part I remember watching it and being like, "Oh fuck!" Like before that, I'm I'm like a a hack amateur for sure, you know. But I always kind of held it in my brain that if I had just grown my hair out and shaved real close. Yeah. And, I could wear girls' clothes and maybe do all right on the girls' circuit, you know? But, like, at that point, I put that dream away, too. I was yeah. like, fuck, she's better than I'll ever be for sure. Oh, dude. And her style is so good. That's the thing. Like, yeah. for me, like, the thing that catches my eye is style. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, commitment. Yeah. Like, what, what really yeah. stood out watching her snowboard was, like, just no fear of getting hurt. And that, like, kind of what you see in, like, a like an 18-year-old guy new on the scene. He's just, like, going balls to the wall. He hasn't been hurt yet. And, like, she kind of was doing that throughout her whole career. Like, just committing so hard to presses and hitting, like, gnarly spot, spots. And just, like, like you said, a focus on style. Whereas, like, maybe some people would, who are being a little bit more cautious would, like, I don't know. Yeah. Just, like, commitment. In how, how cool was that house? Like, did you ride with LMP and, and Bielak and those guys? I don't know, not really, because when I moved to Whistler, I, the crew that I linked up with, just because I moved into the art barn, was, like, the Narcor crew. Okay. So I became, I, like, fresh out of high school, 17 years old, moved into the basement of this house, just, like, through one connection that I had in the house, like, a friend from high school's cousin was living there, trying to make a mountain bike movie that summer, and I moved in there, and it was, like, became friends with Beardmore, and, like, Dave, kind of met Dave Rouleau, and Gerhard Gross, and Keith Martin, and so, so that was, like, my crew. And yeah. I became friends with those guys. And I remember we always just would look across the street and I remember seeing LNP skateboarding in the driveway wearing like a huge green hoodie and like painted on 
brown jeans. Yeah. And Beermore's like, who's that Peter Pan looking motherfucker? <laughs> like, who's that guy? And so we called LMP Peter Pan before we even knew who he was. Wow. So we didn't really board with those guys, but yeah. then, you know, eventually they kind of all started making a name for themselves. And I remember they would, they would ride around in Black Oman Park all in a pack. Mm-hmm. all wearing like all black and like pretty tight fitting gear for the time because back then it was still like pretty baggy shit and they were all wearing tight stuff and just be riding so well like it was like who the fuck are these yeah. guys like yeah. they definitely made an impact pretty quickly that's what i was saying about whistler before was that it was it, it was intimidating coming up here see i came from a small place in ontario yeah where for whatever reason, I thought I was the best. Mm-hmm. I was the only one who wanted to be thought of as the best. So then I thought, well, then obviously I'm the best, right? Like looking back, there were guys with better style, and and but, but the, and there's no way of telling who's the best. That's the thing. In snowboarding, there's this diametric um, balance between best and most authentic. You know what yeah. I mean? So some people would be most authentic, and it's very rare that the best person is also the most authentic. But when it is, that's like. Your Jamie Lands and your, you yeah. know, tra- I, Travis, yeah, probably I would definitely put Travis in that category. Travis Rice, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I was, I definitely had some sort of weird tunnel vision for being the best in Sudbury. So I moved to Vancouver, like I said. You went I, from like big fish, small town, yeah, to like another small town, like Vancouver, small local mountain scene is very small. Mm-hmm. So I, I was like at Cyprus, and I'm like, fuck, I could maybe be the best guy here at Cyprus, yeah. you know, on any given day. And then Grouse, I'm like, another place where I am the master. Yes, <laughs> yes. bow down before my great 540. You yeah. know, like I really thought I was great. Yeah, and then I went. Nobody to pokes see- the five like <laughs> I poke this yeah, five. Totally. And I get to Seymour, and I was like oh, fuck, there's a lot of really good guys here. Yeah. And then so I kind of wrote Seymour off a little bit being like, well, it's not as big and cool as Cyprus. You know what I yeah. mean? Meanwhile, the scene at Seymour was blowing up and there were so many good guys there. It was totally. insane. And don't even talk about going to Baker or Whistler because as soon as I would get there, any delusions I had about being great at Grouse were like, okay, there's real riders here. Yeah. 24-7, there's always someone on the hill that's like 10 times better than I'll ever be, even if I practice my whole life. Yeah. So I went. I, I settled into Vancouver pretty, you know, like it was easy for me to stay at a small mountain. That makes sense. I, I was, that's funny because like growing up in Vancouver and seeing the, the local mountain scene and I mean, I didn't really grow up with like a park background or a freestyle background. Like I definitely moved to Whistler with like zero freestyle skills. Like I could... I think the bag of tricks I had when I graduated high school was like front three, front five, and a laid out backflip. But I just remember being a weekend warrior at Whistler, and like you said, just being blown away by the talent that you'd go up Cat Skinner chair, and I'd watch the Wildcats rolling through the park, or like the Alterna guys, or the Narcor guys, or whatever Sandbox crew, like young, young Rusty and young Mark Sollers before I was friends with them, and just being like, whoa, this is this is the place. Like this is in my head, I was like, this is where all the best snowboarders in the world are for sure. Like that. And, <laughs> and that, so, that and I wanted scare to be a part of it. Yeah, it made me want to be a part of it. I was epic. like, I was intimidated by it because I was like, wow, I'm too old to have such a limited bag of tricks. Because like, I was, yeah, I didn't, I just didn't come from a freestyle background. I grew up riding free riding with like my dad and my uncles because I didn't have that many friends from high school that were into boarding. I had like one friend that was into boarding, and and all he wanted to do was ride pow. He just right. wanted to go on right. hikes and ride pow. You know, like 15 years old, and he's like, let's 
snowshoe up to the top of Cypress before it's open and ride Powell. Like, that was the style of dude he was back yeah. then. And so I just, yeah, I never really, like, That's developed. very West Coast, dude. Yeah. Like, <laughs> most of the guys that are, like, hungry for the freestyle stuff are, are from Quebec or from Ontario. Totally. That's all they have. From, fucking like, Winnipeg or something. And they just, everything out here, their eyes are just huge. Yeah. Whereas if you grew up out here... You might be influenced, like you say, by your parents. Who, yeah. if if the cool parents are already going after like pow, deep pow is like totally. the thing. You know, if I had to choose five days a year, I'm going to choose. Actually, still not. I'd I'd still want like a couple park days, a couple pow days. Even groomers are fun, man. Dude, like the variety of snowboarding pa- is like the best. Oh yeah, a, a good like packed powder day on the groomers up here. Yep, epic, epic, it's so fun. Especially yeah. on the, like the local mountains, night. Like, dude, nightboarding. Right. Like, being able to... What is so cool about Vancouver that Whistler never really had. You know, Whistler had, like, a night pipe for a while. That was mm-hmm. short-lived, but rad. But Vancouver had... Like, I I grew up riding night powder. Totally. How crazy is that? It's the best. Like, not, like, I look back and I'm like, I don't even get... I don't remember the last time I got to ride, pow, like, pow in the trees at night. Right. Like, yeah. not, not since I was in high school. Yeah. We had a few days last year. But the, the, if you go mostly to the local mountains, you get a few really good days up there. Yeah. And it's easy for, like, an old guy like me to recruit other people over to the, like, you know, this is all we need, you yeah. know? Yeah. Totally. Like, fresh tracks from 8 in the morning until noon. That's all my legs can handle. Yeah. And it's, we legs. have it all to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we were at Whistler, you know, we talk it down all the like, oh, red dogs uh, come into people, play. There's people in tents that have camped out for two days to get that storm cycle. Yeah. And it's over in an hour. Like, there isn't anywhere left to go after an hour. But that's not, that's not true. If you live up here and you're as hungry as we are down there, then you get good shit up here all the time, I'd imagine. It's half true. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, definitely more so now. I mean, just like we were talking about in the lobby, just with population. I feel like you can, like, pin everything. It's like 90% of the world's problems. I feel like you can, like, pin down to just, like, overpopulation. Like, mm-hmm. there's just more people in the world. So there's just more people everywhere. And then combine that with the Internet and social media and people want to do all the cool shit that they're seeing online. And anyways, we get rent going off track here, but. No, what I'm I saying like is, it. like, even when I moved to Whistler, I was already overwhelmed by how on it people were after a pow day. Where it was like, I could, I could finish school and go up Cypress with my dad at night, and it ha- and it's been clear all day, and still find powder in the trees. Totally. And that, I was like, oh yeah, no big deal. Like that, you can't really do that on Whistler. You got to go. You got to really like know your stashes or f- know your pockets. Like people are so on it here and so hungry. Everyone's just like. <laughs> it's a lot of work out. too. It's a lot of work sometimes. Like yeah. I go to Grouse and ride just that fall line chair, yeah, the, the Olympic chair, and you just kind of start where the chair is, and then you move over one, move over one, move over one. Totally. And you're there's no hiking involved. There's yeah. nothing. Yeah, you're gonna get a couple fresh turns each run, no matter what. Oh yeah, and a lot of times the, I'm talking top to bottom fresh turns, which top to bottom of, of Grouse is like you know one section. Yeah, like ten turns. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> still, exactly. Still but um, I, I used to get frustrated up here with, like, 
you know, whoever is guiding us to where the goods are. There's always too many cooks in the kitchen, and then the, oh yeah, and then no matter where you go, you're mad because the other guy says where we were going to go. What that would have been better. Now it's too late. Now it's too late. Now now there's half an hour in between it. Yeah. Now now all of the other shred dogs have gotten there. Yeah. Why don't we get a waffle and a beer now yeah. for thirty bucks and totally. smoke a cigarette and fuck the. Yeah. Fuck this day. And it's, I hate that. <laughs> I'm like, no, we can't do that. I paid $120 for my day today. I'm milking it. Yeah, we got to milk it, guys. But yeah, so let's let's uh, circle all the way back. Where you were in North Van when you first started to snowboard? Yeah, I, gr- I grew up in like Dunbar area. Like I my, my uh, house I grew up in was on 23rd and Blenheim in Vancouver. And... Um, yeah, I grew up snowboarding in North Van. Like my, I got into snowboarding ten, my tenth birthday. My dad came home with a one twenty two Burton chopper for me, yes. and um, I was I actually came from like a surf background because I, I my grandparents had a house in Hawaii and that was like a summer vacation spot. So I, I actually thought I was going to be a pro surfer. It's, wow, I wanted to be a pro surfer. Sick. And then I got into snowboarding and then got a little bit older and realized that was like kind of crazy and out of reach being a kid from Vancouver. And I actually really liked snowboarding and liked what came with it. And I was like, I'm going to do this instead. But yeah, so my local resort was Cyprus just because that was the resort that my dad and my uncles liked. So obviously that's where I got my pass and that's what I went up doing. And, um, yeah, it was like Cyprus with like a little pinch of grouse here and there. Didn't even really ride Seymour much until like maybe the last year or two of high school, like a couple times. But Yeah. And by the last year or two of high school, how good at snowboarding are you? Are you competing and stuff or are you just still? So I started snowboarding at 11 and pretty much just like never took a lesson. My dad, my dad taught me and I just, uh, free rode cypress and grouse with my dad and my two uncles so my two uncles are skiers my dad was a snowboarder and is a snowboarder and we would just free ride they would take me on like pow tree runs we do hit runs we'd freaking ride moguls because even <laughs> even my dad as a snowboarder has always loved moguls and so wow. that was just my world i didn't i didn't come from like i didn't have like a group of friends that like that i grew up rebelling with snowboarding together like right. I, I snowboarded with my dad and my uncles and then come high school, met met one friend, like literally in all my whole high school group, one friend that was like kind of into snowboarding, started riding with him a little bit more. I still rode with my dad a lot, but would go up to, that's when I started like riding at Seymour. Like my, my friend Mark, he's like, dude, like why do you guys always go to Cyprus? Like Seymour's got jumps and it's got rails and like I see Devin Walsh up there sometimes and like I always see Dion Delisale. Like Dion's always, <laughs> and I'm like, oh fuck, like I should ride Seymour. So then I kind of started riding Seymour a little bit with like Mark and, you know, I'd go chuck myself off the jumps they had there off the side hits, like learn backflips and threes. But dude, like to go to circle back to your question of like where I was last two years of high school in terms of like snowboard skill, I'd say I was like a super strong rider for that age. I could like ride pow and ride a mountain fast and drop cliffs and all that stuff, but I could barely do a proper 360 and keep it flat. I could do laid out backflips off of side hits, maybe the occasional wildcat if like everything lined up properly. Like I did not have freestyle foundation at all. Right. Like zero. I love that you call that zero because that's as far as I've gotten. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, zero, like you basically, you wouldn't have been able to be like, oh, that guy's going to be a pro snowboarder. Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) Yeah, so I should give up on my dreams now. Then you got a couple years left, man. You definitely unbelievable. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's great. So you move. uh, What what makes you decide to move to Whistler? Like so. So yeah. So so I 
always riding with my dad and my uncles. Became friends with this guy, Mark, Mark Woodward. Uh, we would board together as much as we could. He, we'd go on, like, hikes. We started throughout high school. We'd go up to Whistler on the weekends, and we'd, like, rough it for fun. Even though we knew people that had places up here, and if we really pulled some strings, we probably could have, like, found places to sleep up here. For fun, we'd, like, sleep in hotel lobbies and, like, sleep in his car. And, like, we had, we had like, a really fun time, like, doing the, like, snowboard ghetto thing that you were talking about yeah. with mark frank montoya right? yeah. we wanted to be that which Rad. is hilarious these two kids from vancouver like one yeah. of the like you know very well-off city in canada and not to say we're from super well-off families but you know if, if you're a snowboarder from vancouver you're not poor yeah like, we were doing okay but we were like coming up here telling our parents we were staying in a friend's cabin and just like <laughs> roughing it i love it um I'd already been up here a weekend warrior with my dad and stuff, but like coming up here with Mark and roughing it like that really made me like fall in love with like the snowboard culture and the kind of scene. And I, I was like, Oh, that's like something I'd be interested in. Like, it'd be fun to live up there. And then the deciding factor was both my parents and Mark's parents were having a divorce around the same time. So it was like the classic, like, you know, you've got your friend who's like going through the same shit as you. And we were both kind of like all our friends are signing up for university and stuff. And we're like, this is like what this is what don't our parents don't even know what's up like look at them they're fucking up their marriage they don't know what we're like what what we should be doing like they don't even know how to take care of themselves <laughs> yeah so that we like kind of stood together and then we kind of i don't even know who initially had the idea first but we just kind of formed the plan together that like let's not sign up for any universities let's go move to whistler right and so we just committed like literally we i were me and him both worked at a full serve gas station in vancouver for our last year of high school and worked there all summer and then come like september we both just like packed a bag and moved up here <laughs> amazing yeah what year would that have been i graduated high school in 2006 so that would have been september 2006 wow yeah that's fucking awesome and, and how was whistler 12 years ago it's already pretty blown up like dude the housing crisis has been since the early 90s here really yeah but I don't know. I feel like I, I kind of feel like I moved here in like a golden era. Cool. Because I, we were like looking at ads and like looking at housing options and looking back, it wasn't that crazy. Like there were a lot of rooms available for like 500 bucks a month cool. in, in like shared houses. Yeah. But being a kid from high school, that's a lot of money. So yeah. we were like, what else can we do? So he was like talking about like building like a, he was calling it a Pueblo in quotations. He wanted to build like a Pueblo in the woods somewhere, like try and find a zone where we could like make a little fort, tarp it. Like Mark was like super into roughing it. Anyways, we had this plethora of ideas. One ended up coming to fruition was we just his cousin was living in the art barn, the Narcor house. And he was like, hey, there's like room in the basement. You guys can move in here. Sick. But um, yeah, it. It already, I guess Whistler already was kind of blown up back then, but man, 12 years does a lot. Like Whistler was different when I first moved here. Right. Like there was, there were legitimate dead seasons. There was like a couple times a year where the town was a fucking ghost town. Nothing was happening. And then there was like the Telus World Skiing Snowboard Festival, which was like, might as well have been like Pemberton Music Festival five years ago. Like it was like the, always the coolest event. It was so insane. Like big name bands, like pro snowboarders, big events. Like there was, I don't know. It was it was like the golden years of Whistler, at least for me, because that was the first thing I saw. And I mean, <laughs> it's, it's a lot's changed since then. Maybe it was cooler before that. Maybe it was cooler when I was younger. But I mean, it, it depends. It, there were a lot of dudes that moved out here and, and lived in the woods for a bit. That's something that there's a heritage of people that 
have done that. I've done it for a year or two, you know, which yeah. is badass. Um, geez, I mean, when I, I first rode here in the summer of, oh, no, it would have been the winter, 93, 94. And then that following summer, we had friends that had a hotel room somewhere. We would just drive up and do two or three days in the summer. Sick. I, like, it was like having the mountain to yourself. Like, you would think it was busy because there were 20, 20 people 30 on the people. Run with you. Yeah, on the run with you. But it wasn't until the 2000s or later, even like around, yeah, after the 2000s, you'd come up in the summer. And the park would st- would fill up in this way that on busy days it would do this. There'd be like a crowd, and you'd roll up, and you'd have to stop at each feature and wait your w- turn until the crowd – until now you're at the front of the crowd, <laughs> yeah. and now you have to go. Which is intimidating as fuck. It's the worst. <laughs> I it's remember so hating intimidating. That. <laughs> but then those French guys would just blast past the crowd and just keep a flow line going. There'd be a couple crews like that. Yeah. There'd be these little like – bundles of riders like it'd be like the french guys and then there'd be like the narcor crew and then I'm, there'd be like the sandbox crew yeah like mikey petterson and rusty ockin and right. Sollers before i knew any of those guys and yeah it was intimidating as super being, intimidating either being a weekend warrior your age or being like yeah. a newcomer to town like myself and, and you're just yeah. it was just so clicky it was so clicky very clicky and there was these little packs and yeah. you everyone felt like they were like a part of something and if you didn't have like your pack to latch onto you were just like oh yeah if you're you? up there with your regular buddies from vancouver and you're like we should go like those guys and just go around the line like you'd do that once then you'd case it then someone would be like hey asshole yeah don't do that or wouldn't even have to say anything They'd yeah just give you no, a look or ride yeah, by you and you'd just yourself. be like oh, you're right you'd you're put it on yourself right. <laughs> yeah you're totally right that's yeah people weren't mean that's well, true it was so around energy. that time, so around 2007, I started going to Timberline in the in the spring. Yeah. So down at Mount Hood, it's still there's not that many people there. In the spring, it's the pass is 99 bucks for unlimited until June 1st, and that's insane. Yeah, and their parks are really well maintained because they don't have 80,000 people a day hitting them. Yeah, this is crazy. So I I would go down to Mount Hood and come back and go to Whistler and be like. Okay, uh, I'd, I'd rather drive five hours or six to go hit that and stay there and camp in the woods, which is free. Yeah, totally. Then, you know, drive two hours to get to like intimidation land. So you didn't really, <laughs> you didn't really feel the the energy of Whistler didn't grab you when you when you moved out here. You weren't like, yeah, get me in there. You were kind of like, Argh. scared the hell out of me, right? <laughs> but yeah, no, it really did. It really did put me in my place of like, oh, I, I'm just a lowly weekend warrior guy. It, I, yeah, I guess I understand that. It, it looked like a lot of work. To, it, it looked like a lot of work it to was. get to where they were. It, it was, and it is. Yeah, like it definitely like. I, I just remember. Nice, <laughs> you can hear all the people are you picking up background noise good yeah it's fine okay i just remembered like everything from like making good friends here and like like even just trusting people and like kind of building your crew i guess it kind of was a lot of work like it it whistler is was and always has been pretty clicky yeah and there's always been like those core crews that kind of put out that vibe that is intimidating when you're a newcomer so intimidating yeah yeah and that for you you were like I want I want to I want to be a part of this or I want to you know obviously just, have the drive to get to the top of that chain. I just wanted in right away. I when I first moved here I wasn't like I'm going to be a pro snowboarder. I I didn't even think I was good, but 
the idea was floating around in my head because, like I was telling you earlier, I, I, I grew up thinking I was going to be a pro surfer. Like, my two biggest inspirations when I was, like, a young teenager were the Irons brothers, Bruce and Andy Iron, Irons, because my grandparents had a house on Kauai, which is where they're from. So right. we'd go there all the time for summer vacation, and I just, like, like loved it. But so when I moved here, it was, like, the idea of being a pro snowboarder was hovering around in my head, but it wasn't like I was full commit yet. It wasn't until, like, becoming kind of friends with Matt Beardmore and he, he kind of like apprenticed me and took a liking to me, kind of took like the big brother role with me and then like linking up with the Narcor guys and kind of starting to like develop my, my freestyle skills a little bit in the park. Yeah. It just kind of seemed a little bit more in reach and I saw their lifestyle. I saw like them getting paid. I saw Beardmore making money. I saw him traveling all the time. I saw girls just obsessed with him and I was like, this is fucking dope. Like I, that, that's when I was like, I want this. And I was intimidated and it felt like a lot, but I was also kind of like, I was like, fuck it. What else am I going to do? Like, I, I want to try this. This is rad. Like, let's, <laughs> let's give her <laughs> what kind of board were you riding at that point? So when I first moved here, I was on a, I was getting, I was writing handy downs of my dad. So, Actually, handy downs of my dad's and Yorley Rickers. Oh, nice. So the two snowboards I moved here with were was a 156 Burton Balance yeah. and a 160 Burton Custom, way too big for me at the time, yep. that I got from Yorley Ricker. The Burton Balance I got from my dad, the Burton Custom I got from Yorley Ricker. Rad. And so I started like riding on those, like riding around the resort, filming clips with Narcor or whatever <laughs> on those boards. Wow, and, really? Yeah, those are, the, those are the two sticks. I those started are two on pretty good sticks for if you're moving up here to have a little quiver. Oh yeah, those are good. Those were good boards because that but, that custom's a little stiffer, right? Like so, that's good for those like solid days. Yeah, and the fifty six is just an all around good freestyle board. Yeah, it was a pipe board yeah. too, but yeah. but it was like a you know I I always I've always liked a little bit of a stiffer freestyle board, and that I just remember really liking those two two boards. And after that, I so I rode those, and then I. Burton on ink was a thing and I was a huge fan of like DCP and Roman and Salberg and all those guys. So I paid for my first board red, my, like myself, like up until that yeah. point, like it was like always like handy downs for my dad or presents or whatever. And so I paid for my first board, like my yeah mid season, my first year up here and I bought a Burton on ink and then I ran the warranty program for Sick. like another year. So I like yeah. bought a Burton on ink thing, yeah. warranty, like blew an edge out, warrantied it, got another 160 DCP Burton on ink. And then um, Matt Beermore was like, what the fuck are you doing riding Burton's? Like, you want, like, I'll get you some Atomics. I'll tell my team manager to throw in a board for you. Yeah, was and that Medill at that time? Rob Medill. Yeah. Yeah, Rob Medill. Yeah, oh, and did you know him so, from up in at Grouse? Did you ever ride at Grouse? You didn't. Not really. A little bit here and there. Okay. But it was like Sorry. mainly Cypress and then with a yeah. couple of days at Seymour. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't start really riding at Grouse until I'd already lived in Whistler. Right, because I still think of you as a Grouse guy because they did a bunch of, they did like, a bunch like, of I would work see with me. you on the TVs the, while we're waiting for the totally. tram and all that shit. Yeah. Through like, through part like of the team. Quicksilver and yeah. Alterna. Yeah. I became kind of like a grouse guy. Yep. So when I would ride it once, once I lived up here and I was riding for Quicksilver and filming for Alterna, anytime I'd go to the city, I'd ride grouse. Right. So that, that's kind of when all that came together. Yeah. Yeah. You were, but, you were involved with building some stuff up there and some special shoots and shit like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. Making yeah. the mountain look really good. Totally. And I, <laughs> I remember being super proud of, I had this like, 
back seven japan light box ad yeah. at the top of the tram for like forever forever it's so <laughs> that was a sick ad dude. yeah i was pumped on that photo. yeah yeah that's a good photo but yeah rob medill I, I don't actually know if i ever maybe i met him in crossing at a party or something but yeah so beermore was dealing with rob and he would just kind of start he'd like throw an extra board in like every once in a while when beermore would get a package that's sick. he'd be like oh yeah here's a smaller one here's a 156 like give it to rasmund that and is I amazing. just was like, so that was my first like taste of being like, I'm getting free shit. Like a setup. Yeah. Totally. And I yeah. wasn't sponsored, but I felt like I was, I'd, I'd take it. I'd steal big atomic stickers from Matt and like slap them on the nose. And then, then eventually Beermore was like getting me Drake in North wave. So I was like getting Sick. Drake bindings, in North wave boots. And then same thing, like stickers on the board. Like I was just fucking so hyped. <laughs> and then, oh, and then it, Von yeah. Zipper, I never even <laughs> actually had a connection at Von Zipper. Like Risto didn't know me. Yeah. Wasn't sending me stuff. I just literally would, Matt would hand me goggles and then I would take a big Von Zipper sticker and like slap it on my board. I love that. I was just so pumped. I was like, I'm getting, I'm not paying for gear. This is fucking crazy. Yeah, I'm getting yeah. free gear. <laughs> I live in Whistler yeah. and I'm paying $250 a month to live in the basement of the motherfucking art barn. It's like, <laughs> this is cool. <laughs> That's inc- so who's the first real sponsor? Did somebody take note that year or a year later kind of thing? When you say first sponsor, do you mean like, real connection sending stuff just to me or do you yeah. mean money yeah um let's go first just real connection sending stuff to you desiree moore from from drake Northwave. sick so she she was the first one that was like because i met her she came to whistler and matt's like oh you should you should come out to earl's like we're like my team manager from drake Northwave is here like desiree like you should, you should actually meet her she's been like putting extra stuff in my boxes for you <laughs> for, for like a year or whatever it had been and uh, so I met her and then got her number and her email. And then, like, any time I would, like, get anything done, like, get a photo shot in the park or, like, whatever I was doing, I would send it straight to her. And that was, like, kind of my first time dealing with a brand, dealing with a team manager. And so she was I'm pretty sure the first actual sponsor connection where I was, like, not dealing with Matt anymore, just, like, emailing her and she'd send me boots and bindings. Sick. And then quickly after that, uh, Gerhard Gross got me on Quicksilver. Oh, wow. So he had just gotten a job for as Canadian team manager for Quicksilver in DC and uh, he put in the good word and got me on quick. And then, so that was, that was probably my first like real sponsor because that, that came with no money the yeah. first year, but yeah. they sent me on a trip to Spain with sandbox. Sick. So that was my first like film segment. I like yeah. filmed in Spain for two weeks with sandbox and had a little like mini part in their uh, travel segment. And then the year after that, Gerhard's like, Hey man, they want to Quicksilver wants to get you on like an official contract. It's like a, uh, 600 bucks a month and like three grand travel budget and i was like holy fuck (laughs) that was crazy that was yeah that was a big deal yeah that's fun yeah drake northwave would be the first like actual connection to to, like a felt like a real sponsor quicksilver was my first paying sponsor that's incredible and so uh, at that point are you still riding beardmore's uh atomic stuff like that what board would you ride in the atomic line the, oh, I wish I remember the names. Was there was of them. the hatch. It was the was the. I always oh uh, the triarch the triarch the triarch. I do remember the triarch. Uh, yeah, I rode the I triarch strictly because I was a fan of Beermore and Beermore with the triarch. Yeah, so yeah. I didn't even know if it was a good board. It for was me a really not. good board for yeah, like for Whistler for sure. I can yeah, see that. it had it a lot of stompy, wide, stiff. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'd get like I would get like a one fifty five triarch and a one fifty nine triarch, Perfect. and that would be my quiver. And again not sponsored like this wasn't like yeah. the drake north wave thing where yeah. where rob Medill, rob Medill wasn't communicating with me at all beer would just ask him to throw an extra border to in his package and so 
I was riding an atomic triarch in Spain that sandbox trip and and who, then I who was on the sandbox trip with you who who would have been the filmers so so that was Clayton Larson yep John Scarth shooting photos sick Gerhard Gross there as like organizing the trip because it was like a DC trip right. plus Quicksilver rider like I was the one Quicksilver guy yeah and then Brendan Keenan Andrew fucking Jeeves and Ryan Teeny <laughs> and this is this is Jeeves is like super young Jeeves is like 17 yeah I'm, I'm 19 wow this is when he had he had just filmed his um time well wasted video part which was like a huge like way ahead of its time video yeah. part for Andrew so Andrew was like on top of the world and even Ryan Ryan Teeny was like one of the biggest snowboards in Australia at that time so I'm I'm like with some like pretty young rock stars and yeah. i'm just like this new kid who's like not getting paid yet just uh, just frothing to have a paid for snowboard <laughs> trip right 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 oh yeah, that trip was sick that is sick and so um once you start getting paid so you're getting paid by quicksilver probably for a season before you pop onto a full board sponsorship um or- so i so the next so i film i go to spain with sandbox i film for them for two weeks there Riding atomic boards, Drake North Wave, again stickers all over the board, but not no legit sponsorship other than Quick. Quick's not paying me yet; they just paid for me to go on this trip. Yeah, I did pretty decent, I guess, that they were happy enough to like get me on a real contract. Mm-hmm. So I signed the contract with Quick. Like, pretty sure, yeah, six hundred bucks a month, three grand travel budget, one year contract. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah. Frothing, and then two weeks after I signed that con- contract, Carlos, this is in the uh, like fall. Carlo Wine from Alternative Films calls me up and he's like, "Like, hey man, uh, this is uh, Carlo calling. Like, we've met a few times. Like, you were down at the office once because I'd had like a shot or two in Beardmore's part. Beardmore threw him in there the year before, like just kind of cameo for me. Wow. And so he's like, yeah, you, I met you. I think you came in the office. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm like, fuck, of course I know who you are, Carlo. Like, what's up, man? And he's like, I've been talking to Quicksilver and uh, they're pretty into uh, throwing, buying for a movie's ten grand, and they're into throwing some money down to uh, get you to film for us this year. So Quicksilver, wow, fucking, pretty much all because of Gerhard, yep, who passed away recently, and yeah, like through, through a hell mary for me, and That's was incredible. like, this kid, like I don't even think, I don't know what they saw in me back then. But maybe they saw something, but I, I, maybe I'm being hard on myself by saying they did. I didn't have anything going, but I really don't think I had much to offer. But they saw something, and they were like, Gerhard convinced them to put ten grand down for me to film for Alternative. And that's like pretty much how it all started. Yeah. And that, I, filmed, I filmed for Alternative that year and filmed my first like little segment for them. So uh, all through this um, learning curve, are you learning how to be a pro snowboarder by watching the guys in your house and how they're doing it? Totally. Yeah. That, that, I, that was a, a big part of also, I think, what got me to where I am and what I think maybe some other kids who have the talent but don't have that didn't didn't get to make it or didn't get the opportunity and I'm fortunate to have that because I got to I was like I grew up really quickly because I was 17 years old and I moved into this house house with a bunch of like 24 to 28 year olds yeah and so I watched how they all acted I watched how Beardmore interacted with the sponsors he was he was a pretty like bold personality and pretty cocky so he would like openly everyone would be watching a movie at the house and he would answer a call from his team manager and just fully not leave the room and just have a call with his team manager like right there. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, so, yeah. so I really got to like just kind of see how he dealt with everything. And he, he took a liking to me and like me and him got pretty close. And so I would like, I'd pick his brain and when I got comfortable with him, I'd ask him a lot of questions about how it all worked and like, 
like what like well do you have an agent no okay like how do you what do you mean you like what do you, he's like well you gotta like constantly email them and like if, like you don't you don't get something if you don't ask for it and like blah 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 and like be on it like send them send them what you're doing and yeah i just like watched and learned and i was just like a sponge i was like soaking up information i like watched how beardmore did it i watched how like jf 410 like did it and i like i really i always really liked jf but i, I also like saw the mistakes he made i was like oh beardmore's doing it better you know like i, I right just, i like felt like i got to like learn from everyone's successes and mistakes of that little area how much uh how many people would you say like proportionately had representation like how many canadian pros were had like an agent that was working for them i don't know i don't know the answer to that yeah because it it's just dawning on me now like there's a lot more of that kind of going on in the states but Mm -hmm. it also seems like you kind of get to a certain level and then people come out of the woodwork and go hey you know for you you you're underperforming or you're getting less money i i imagine that's how it works yeah like if you're already making the money there's no reason to get on representation so somebody's got to come to you and go hey like we could blow you up i I think jeez i don't if i had to i don't know the actual answer to that so i'm I'm just gonna if i had to guess yeah yeah. if i had to guess not that many Canadian pro snowboarders had agents. Like, like I don't think Devin Walsh had an agent. I know, I know Matt Beardmore never did. He did it all himself, and that was something he was proud of. Maybe some of them back then did, but I, I, like you said, it was more of an American and a Euro thing to have agents, right? But moving forward now, a lot of contest snowboarders have agents. Like Darcy Sharp has an agent. Yep, Mark Morris obviously has an agent. Obviously, like a lot of them yeah. have agents, and so I just watched like. I never thought I needed one, and I don't think I ever did need one. I just it's just like watch Beardmore do everything, and I remember even talking to agents at one point when I like kind of slowly started to blow up, and basically I had an agent just tell me like you don't you just don't really have enough going on to to need me, and I was like ooh harsh, <laughs> but okay, like right. fair enough, and right, yeah, I don't know. I've always thought the agent thing was weird, man. It was super weird. It's always it's, been weird, yeah. But uh, I mean, I know that Kearns did it for a while with Roberta, and I, but they had U.S. people, I think can't remember who they had i think if like fuck it maybe if if an agent could help you get like um outside snowboard stuff like if if you just Mm. like focus on what you got to do the and maybe the agent can just help you understand confusing parts of the contract like some brands have super corporate contracts some brands have more understandable contracts like my contract with mervin is like pretty simple it's like four pages long it's pretty easy to understand there's no hidden read between the lines stuff in there that I would need an agent to dissect for me. But then there are, like, I remember when I when I wrote for Quicksilver, the contract was, like, 14 pages long. Wow. A lot of, like, legal shit in there that I didn't understand. And Yeah. So I think that would be the benefit of an agent. Like, helping a snowboarder who doesn't want to pay, pay attention to that stuff, like, know that he's safe, know that they're not, like, fucking him over in any weird ways, and then also helping him get, like, work and sponsors outside of the little bubble that he's aware of. Right. Like right. five gum or <laughs> yeah. like Advil <laughs> yeah, yeah. or like fucking whatever fuel TV, you know, shit like that. Or sure. like, Hey, we got this Jeep commercial. They're going to pay you 10 grand and work for them for five days. You know, shit like that. Yeah. So th- I think that is maybe where having an agent would have been good. Makes but, sense. Sure. But I think you can do all the like inner snowboard stuff yourself. It's such a small industry. Everyone becomes friends and knows each other anyways. How does the, how does the Mervin thing happen? Cause I'm, I'm a huge fan of Mervin, <laughs> just a Pete and Mike, like yeah, beauties. A, a lot of people don't realize how much 
snowboarding owes to those two. Dude, Mike is a, a mad scientist that is truly like, he's such an eccentric, interesting human. It makes for and, perfect marketing. Yeah, like he, well, I've, I've they, they've, they've the taken it and run guys. with it now. Yeah, that. yeah. But they, they're take, they're taking it and running with Mike's personality. Good. When that's just like, yeah, it's awesome as they should. But that's just like how he was. I feel like like there were just these two dudes, like Mike and Pete. They're just making snowboards and and they were even making surfboards way back in the day. They just weren't yeah. selling them. Yeah, they were always like shaping surfboards. And so how okay, so how that all started was, so my dad was like an early semi-pro snowboarder right like he he helped like legalize snowboarding on cyprus he he became like he was super fond of baker and the crew down there so he was always going to baker and riding with the baker crew he'd even like done some trips with like craig kelly i think and he's rode with damian sanders before and so he never really like like blew up in that area but like he's you know like like amy and gwen howitt from baker like they know my dad well like he's like he's, he's done the bank slalom like a lot of times that's amazing so back back in the day, he had some connections with Mervin. He was uh, Pete and Mike hooked him up. They were sending him boards. I don't know if it was Gnu or LipTech he was riding for, or maybe he rode for both of them at some point. And uh, I remember I was so I was getting these Atomic boards, and I just I thought it was so sick that I was getting free boards from Atomic, even though looking back, it was hilarious. It was just like a rep throwing extra boards in the box because Beardmore told them to because Beardmore was their biggest rider, and he's like, "Yo, throw extra boards in for Chris." Yeah, but I was like. I'm getting free boards. I'm fucking good, yo. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And I just remember my dad being like, Hey, like, like LibTech, Gnu, like, I, you know, like, what do you think about them? Like I have Pete Sari's number. Like I was thinking about reaching out to him and blah, 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 blah. And this was kind of before LibTech's rebirth. I want to call it, I guess they never really went anywhere, but you know, they had like, they had a bit of a, a dull, a lull there. And then Travis Rice came on and, and shit really blew up again for them. Was it during those years that they were doing the bananas, or was it the bananas? This is before that blew, bananas. The bananas blew it up. Oh yeah, because Travis's the, first Travis board that I had was just traditional camber. Yeah, totally. I think I think like tra- Travis getting on lib after Rosignol was yeah. was he on lib for, during the community project, or was he Rosignol still? Oh, I can't remember. Anyways, I remember I remember the lib never went anywhere, but they definitely had a bit of like a lull. Like they weren't they weren't. Yeah, between Jamie and Travis kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So, so, like, Jamie who had kind of, like, moved on a little bit. Like, he wasn't, like, the, the – he was just a little bit older. He kind of, like, graduated from being, like, the it dude. And yeah. there was a lull between Jamie and Travis where Mervin kind of, like, didn't really have as much hype around them as they did now. As totally. they do now. Totally. And so they weren't on my radar. I was, like – I thought Atomic was dope. I thought Endeavor was really dope. And, you know, I just, like, other board companies. And so when my dad mentioned it, I was, like, oh, yeah. Like – I think I think I heard something about like Travis Rice just signing, and I, you know I knew who Travis was from the community project. I think that was the most recent thing I saw of him at that time, and he was like, "Yeah, I'm I'm gonna hit up Pete and tell him that you're living in Worcester now, and like see if he can get you some boards." And I was like, "Oh yeah, sure, Dad. Like whatever happens." And he went down. My dad went down to the factory and like visited with Pete and Mike and their old friends. They connected, hung out, and my dad's like, "Hey, my son's living in Worcester now, and he's." Uh, He's filming uh, some snowboarding and blah, blah, blah. And, like, I want to get some boards from him. And they, like, Pete made it, like, very clear to my dad. And he's like, oh, that's really cool, Rudy. But, like, just make sure your son knows that we're not sponsoring him. Here's two boards for him. Here's a GNU Rider's Choice and a LibTech TRS. But make sure he's aware that this isn't a sponsorship. Like, we're just giving him boards because we know you, Rudy. Right. <laughs> and so <laughs> That's insane. It, yeah. So I was, like, 
like they made that clear to him yeah and he had to like awkwardly like tell me like he's like oh you know they said this but you know they don't know that proud dad he's like they don't know like your skill level yet christopher so don't worry but i just remember being like oh that's kind of a slap in the face but like whatever i'll try these boards out and liking them right away so for the the very first alternate movie i filmed for electro i filmed that whole movie on two boards, one GNU and one LibTech that I right. got from LibTech as like a pity, yeah, as like as a pity giveaway. My dad knows somebody exactly. As like my That's dad knows somebody. That's a great story, though. That's amazing. <laughs> and then um, through Beardmore, through just like basically being like watching how he did everything, I learned that you got to stay on your sponsors. And so I just got Pete's email, Pete's email. <laughs> and uh, then I, he, like, fucking sent me to Zach Leach because Zach Leach was the team manager at the time. Like, I could tell Pete was like, oh, I don't want to fucking yeah. deal with this guy. Yeah. Here's Zach Leach's email. He's our team manager. So I just was, like, on Zach Leach, like, constantly emailing him everything I did. Like, anytime I had a photo shot of me, whether it was in the park or whatever, and obviously in the backcountry because I was filming a video part, I was, like, sending him absolutely everything. Rad. And um, eventually the relationship slowly turned into like Zach Leach was sending me boards. Like I was actually getting boards. Of course. And I remember at one point he's like, oh, you rode like a GNU and a Lib last year. Like what company do you think you connect more with? And like, what do you want to ride? And I was like, oh, (laughs) it's like LibTech. It's like I I kind of felt like GNU was a little bit more like psychedelic and weird. And LibTech was like a bit more punk rock. Sure. Yeah. And and I was like, I want to be I want to ride for LibTech. Yeah, Lib was always kind of the number one company, and then they sort of bought back GNU. From yeah. GNU had gone, like, so kooky. Yeah, yeah, and then totally. They they sort of kept that kook vibe in there just on purpose, you know? like they were, To be funny. Like, just making fun of themselves. For sure. They made a- excellent boards, but, yeah, it was just a little tongue-in-cheek. Their boards were always yeah. named weird things and For sure. silly funny colors graphics and funny graphics and on, pur- on purpose. So like, I think because of that, I was... I don't know. I just thought LibTech was cooler. Mm-hmm. And and then obviously like Travis Rice was on my radar at that point because of community project. So I was like, I was like, I want, I want to write LibTech. And, um, so then it's, it graduated into that. Zach Leach started sending me lib boards and I'd get like two a season or maybe three a season if I was lucky. And I just stayed on the man. I was like throughout the years filming for Alterna, like, you know, never any money from LibTech. All like any type wow. of sponsor money came from like Quicksilver Fuck, I think it was like just Quicksilver for a few years. Yeah, Isn't it was like only- Quicksilver at some point Quicksilver is the parent company of LibTech though. Yes, true. But that had that had nothing to do They ran like, separately. They yeah. ran separately. Yeah. So but but that was I mean, maybe it was part of why Zach started sending me boards. Maybe he was like, Oh, you're writing for Quick and you're on contract with Quick and you're filming for this canadian company called alternative no, like, he just saw your you. he just saw your stuff and was like yeah we got to keep giving this guy stuff. yeah probably he's like oh it's free exposure <laughs> this kid's working hard wow this is epic yeah <laughs> yeah you're but, doing um, more than some of our pros man like, <laughs> yeah, let's get some stuff. how many do you want three boards and you're like yeah and he's like yes totally so so zach zach was like super good to me he he was like like for how busy he was and for how large of a team he was running he was like He'd oh, he'd respond to my emails pretty on time, and he'd get me boards when I needed them. And and then um, one year, I got invited to on like a LibTech team trip, and it cool. was at Crystal Mountain in Washington. And Zach was like, "Hey, like Rasman, I know it's last minute, but like we're having this team shoot at Crystal. Um, you should drive down here like tomorrow <laughs> and be here for like for like the week like long weekend or whatever." Yeah. And so I went down there and like met the whole team. Like everyone was there. Like Lando, like Jamie. 
pretty much everyone was there except for Travis. Travis wasn't around there. Like Blair Habenick, like all those guys. Um, Blake Paul had just got on GNU and he was like, he was super young. He would have been like 18 when I went down there. I was like 20 years old. Cool. And um, after that trip, I rode really well at Crystal. Tim Zimmerman shot a bunch of photos of me. Scott Sullivan was there too. Um, everyone said like really nice things to me after. They were like super impressed with my riding and they didn't know who I was. And they're like, oh, dude, like, you're, you're sick. Like, give, give us a call. We should shoot sometime, blah, blah, blah. After that, the year after that is when I got on contract with Lib. Sick. And I was like actually on the team. That's epic. That's, yeah. So you've been with them. That's, that's your only paid board sponsor. Yeah, the that whole was way through your career. The, yeah, the only board company that's ever given me money is that's really great. Tech. Yeah, that's a really good company to be involved with. So even though I like, like you know, like rode Burton's growing up because my dad always liked Burton and Yearly Ricker, and then had the Atomic thing because of Beardmore. Like I, the pretty much the only company that I've ever like represented is Mervin, and and their and boards are really really good. Fuck that's, yeah, that's they the are. thing is that once you get on those, you got to be stoked, right? And that's the thing, and I I, I will. Obviously, everyone that rides for companies, you know, it's part of your job to promote what you're riding. But I will fucking say LibTechs are awesome. Everyone wants to ride a LibTech. Everyone knows they're good. Everyone knows the company's cool and you're supporting, like, a rad brand when you do. And, dude, they, they just fucking work good. Like, they're rad boards. I yeah. really like them. Yeah. And they make surfboards and skateboards, too. So, come on. <laughs> yeah, totally. Do you start your own um, relationship with Pete and Mike at some point? Outside More so with Pete, dad. Mike, um, yeah, with both of them. Like, yeah. I go down a couple times and visit the factory when I can. I mean, honestly, I should go down there more for how close they are, but it's that whole, like, they're on the peninsula. you got to take a weird ferry, and yeah. it's like kind of a mission to get down there. But, yeah, I've gone down there a couple times, and I visit Mike, and he always chats my ear off about, like, the next cool, like, mad scientist thing he's working on. Like, I remember going down there, like, right before he started making the surfboards, and he just, like frothing and talk oh, my ear yeah. off for like an hour about his like secret materials he's using and how he's like thinking about like collabing with matt biolos from lost and like all this stuff and and then yeah my relationship with pete kind of developed more on a business side like kind of when i more start when i started getting a bit more serious with lib and he was like yeah we want to like move forward with you and like run ads and like do this oh. properly like that's so I, I deal with pete more than i deal with mike right and and jesse bertner so yeah. exactly each left lib and went and worked for oakley as team manager for them and when he left jesse bertner took over team manager position so i've been dealing with jesse for fuck like six years now so this sounds like you moved to whistler you probably worked as a dishwasher at night for the first house year. houseman at the delta hotel <laughs> there you go. so I, I i plunged a fair amount of toilets cleaned the pool a lot yeah every once in a while some puke to clean up yeah <laughs> amazing Dude, I, I worked full-time in the summer part-time in the winter at this delta hotel all the way up until the snowboard canada movie like glimpse so all my alternate video parts i worked part-time throughout the winter filming those yeah like three to three to eleven shift like three times a week so there'd be days where i'd be out sledding and i'd like and looking back this is so sketchy and not safe that i'd do this but i'd be, be somewhere deep in the backcountry and i'd be like hey boys i gotta bounce and i'd sled out of the zone alone to go to work Wow. And then it, the first year I was like, okay, I'm making enough money to not like work in the winter. Like I'll just work in the summer. That was the first year we started man boys. So 2014. Holy shit. So only four years ago was yeah. the first time I was like, wow, I'm doing okay. Well, Stop I think, working. I think a lot of snowboarding pros and some of them listen to this for sure. Um, 
I don't know if they ever get to that point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where they can stop working in the summer because life's expensive. You're living I, in a mountain town. I still work in the summer. I, yeah. I meant stop working in the winter. You still do, just mm-hmm. for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and did you buy a place up here? Is that no. too personal? You're just I'm I'm saving right now. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm like like I said. I mean I I only started not working in the winter at 25 years old. So yeah. I like I never had a blow up year. I really like slowly clawed my way. Yeah. To the top or whatever. Well, I'm this is now. a blow up year for you. I would say. I feel like it is. I feel like I'm having like a late blow up year now. So it's like, <laughs> so I guess you could say this is my blow up year. Super, super late bloomer. But so I like, I just was like, I'm going to keep on fucking trying. And like, I always, I remember making this promise to myself, like when Matt Beermore got out of snowboarding, one of my biggest idols, like left the snowboard industry after the two, like he 2008 recession happened. The snowboard industry got fucked. Like all that shit happened. And he was like, he was out. And I remember saying, I will stop when a year comes that I start making less money than I did the year before. So my my promise I made to myself is like, I either maintain or make more money every year. Otherwise I'm out. Wow. That's, and and so it's just kind of every year was like, so you got to hustle a little bit more. So yeah, hustling and yeah. And, um, yeah, <laughs> that's a when tough, it, honestly, that, this is one of the toughest subjects to talk with any, especially Kate, you're the youngest guy I've ever had on the show, right? That's epic. Jess was the second youngest. <laughs> yeah. And um, the, uh, so most of the people I'm talking to, if they're milking a bit of a career now, mm-hmm. I mean, not not milking a bit of a career, it's Jeremy Jones, you know, he's still making money. Yeah. Um, Jamie Lynn's still making money, but it's like... The industry was so harsh to people that weren't hustling. Yeah, dude. And and even to some that were. You know what I mean? Fuck like yeah. when you lock in with Dude, it's almost harsher now though. Is it? What do you think? I, I mean I, I don't know. Again, I don't know enough. I'm not a snowboard history nerd. I don't Right. I know like I've met so many of my idols. Like I've met and hung out with Jamie Lynn so many times. Like, I've hung out with Nicholas Mueller. Like I met like homies with Travis Rice. Now, like I've I've met so many of my idols, Terry A. Hawkinson, but I've never had those conversations with him. Like how was it back then? Huh. So I don't know the answer to that. But right now, what I'm seeing is like this really weird limbo where all the brands aren't really sure how to like spend their money and market themselves because of social media. And I hate to like bring it to the Instagram thing, but it's like everyone just needs like quick gratification. No, that's like, what okay, it is. Fuck, like like fast, 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 fast. Where right. it used to be like quality over quantity, and right. maybe maybe there was a point in snowboarding where it was too much like that, and it let pro snowboarders kind of be pieces of shit and party too hard because they could just like work really hard for two months, film a video part, and then fuck around for the rest of the year because it was like that. But I don't know. Now there's there's. I wish there was just an in between of that and this because this right. this is too much the other way. Right. This is like people aren't people are. I feel like brands are just putting money in the wrong places sometimes. Well, I don't I don't pay that close attention to it, but I definitely have heard through podcasts mostly that yeah, a lot of the people that go to the Olympics don't even have board sponsors. They're totally. not even really sponsored by snowboarding. They're, They're sponsored by Trident or the the country that they live in. I don't know. A lot of them aren't even getting paid. There's, yeah. there's there's riders in the Olympics like trying triple corks probably that don't really get money. That's so weird to me. Yeah, it it went away from because when I was working at the shop, um, you could make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You know, we heard Jody interview 
Romaine, and he was making thirty grand a month, dude. Yeah, from one sponsor. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I'm sure Terry had some years like that too. And do you remember? Did you, did you listen to our Ejac interview? Uh, if I did, it was when it first came out. Ejac, we we got real with Eric, and like he was talking about his early days when, like, when he was on Quick, and he's like, yeah, you know, and I, you know, wasn't making a ton of money, but I was doing pretty good. Like, I was making like sixty grand a year. So he's making like sixty grand a year when he was like sixteen years old, and back then that like wasn't that good, <laughs> right? Right. So, anyways, to, to circle back to the start of how this like loop got going is, I, I was a late bloomer in the snowboard industry. I've kind of clawed my way to the top. I've I've never lost. The, people keep on. I've had people asking me for like five years straight now. Like, what's next? Like, what are you going to do now? Like, you've done it all. And I'm like, I have not done it all. Like. I, not even close. So I have a lot more that I want to do, but as far as like the financial question goes, I'm kind of just getting my shit together now. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I'm right. just getting into a place where I'm like, okay, now I'm getting comfortable. Now I'm saving. Cool. And I'm just, I don't know how serious I'm, st- I'm still renting. Where does I still work boys come from? Cause that uh, came out of like a void that was happening in snowboarding at that mm-hmm. time. Like, cause I'm an old guy and I stopped watching videos and stopped yeah. going to premieres and stopped really caring Yeah, because I get that Instagram fix. And honestly, I wish it wasn't, I, I, I got wish too much from Instagram. You know what I mean? It was a really My cool whole, thing when it started yeah. and then it just turned into this ambassador thing and constant gratification, yeah. content, totally. content, 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 totally. content. Made it work, yeah. Made yeah. It so then, it, the, the the first time I saw Man Boys, I was like, "Wow, this is like, <laughs> this is like if Wildcats just kept going and, and got younger." You know what I mean? This is like <laughs> if it, it, this is like the fun part of snowboarding. Yeah. Um, where you wish you were there because a lot of videos you don't wish you were there. You wish. Like you're like, oh, this is neat to watch, but God, I would not do that. Yeah, actually, I, I feel that with your guys stuff too, because obviously you guys are doing insane things. But I know what you mean, though. You make you it feel, fun, though. Yeah. Well, okay. So, how how Man Boys started? The the name Man Boys is from like Robin Taylor and Mikey HK's like crap nitto thing that they had going on, where like Robin Taylor was making short films for Whistler's seventy two hour film festival every year, and he it was like. Robin Taylor, Mikey HK, Andre Benoit, and they just like ride the park together and make these little snowboard edits and throw them throw them on crapnetto.com and they called themselves the Man Boys. And so moving forward, when like Rusty and Sollers moved here and started filming for Sandbox, they became friends with Robin. I like Jody and I were a little bit younger, so we, we Jody and I moved to the same year but didn't become friends right away. I linked up with the Narcor guys and the Alterna guys. Jody linked up with the Sandbox crew and the Crapnetto guys. And that was just their cruise. Yep. Matt Belziel got on Quicksilver in 2010. I had already been on Quicksilver for like a year and a half or like maybe two years at that point. And we did this trip to New Zealand together. Spent a month in New Zealand with Quick. And I became really good friends with Matt. And so through that, started filming and riding with Matt a lot. And then um, filmed my last alternative segment. That was like the last alternative movie they made ever made, 13 O'Clock. Then had two years for the Snowboard Canada movie like relax and glimpse and then there was just this kind of like weird limbo in canadian snowboarding where there was like not really many production companies like mac dog wasn't making movies anymore absinthe was but sandbox and alterna weren't making movies like there was like nothing going on and it was like really not looking good for canadian filmmaking and um 
so Rest Yonkinen and Mark Sollers were communicating with each other and they're like like let's this is bullshit like why do we need like a a middleman to go tell us who to film for like we have the resources like let's start a production company and let's just film with our friends like let's film with who we like to hang out with and and do it here because Whistler's the best place best place in the world everybody travels here to film we live here let's like do it here and at this point i'm just associates with rusty jody and mark the only person i'm like close with is balziel so I catch wind that they're doing this through Balziel and through Nate Laverty. Nate Laverty filmed the Snowboard Canada movies, and they had chose to film the first year of Man Boys. And I hit up Matt and Nate, and I was like, I want in. Like, Rad. Like, what the fuck? Like, I want in. What are you guys doing? And they're kind of like, oh, I don't know. And like, and like I said, I, I, wasn't even, I wasn't good friends the rest of the year, Mark, back then. So they were, like, humming and hawing about even, like, letting me in. I, probably Jody especially, because Jody's a very strong like bold opinion person sure i'm sure i'd love to know what they were saying behind my back like looking back i'd lo- i should probably ask now like what were you guys saying about me back then because like we weren't homies back then yeah but i just like push and i was like yo let me in i know you guys are starting this crew and you and you want to make a web series this year and i'll show you what i can fucking do like i was like let me in what and, other um, web series existed at that point mm, cooking with gas yep um couple brands maybe you did some way that this was the start of the web series yeah Yeah. they'd been like they'd been the thing for like maybe two seasons tops sure pretty new there for sure was some other noteworthy ones going on but this was definitely like early in the web series thing this is when they were hot yeah and so when i heard they were doing a web series and it was those guys i was like i want in and like i said i was associates and rode, rode the park with all the other ones only friends with matt and nate so matt belziel and nate laverty vouched for me got me in sweet and boom, I just hit up my sponsors, got money for this project to help pay for the filmers and whatever the buying was, and then just started traveling and filming with these guys. And Amazing. Within, like, a year or two, clicked really well with, like, Sollers and Rusty and Jody and just slowly became, like, actual really good friends with them. But, yeah. Rad. That, that's how the Man Boy started. It was basically uh, Mark and Rusty being like, let's make a production company that is ours so we're not filming for someone else's thing and let's just film with friends. And then um, I think when you are friends and you're traveling together with the same people all year and just in the mountains together and then you live in the same town all season, oh, sorry, all year, not just all season. So you're like hanging out in the winter, hanging out in the summer, like you're doing everything together. Like we just became really good friends. Like you're, you're partying together, you're working together, like you're doing everything together. Eventually that's going to translate in snow footage. Like there's just going to be a feel and an energy, whether it's like a lifestyle shot or like something funny happening. Like you, you can just tell when people are not awkward around each other. So I think what like connected with the public with man boys right away was people were just like, those guys are having fun. Totally. They're friends and they're enjoying themselves and we weren't taking ourselves too seriously. And at the, for the first couple of years we had Robin Taylor playing around with like some like random weird skits, like short film style, goofy stuff. We were right. just like being idiots, like just being weird and not, sure. not giving a fuck. And I think people liked that. There was like a lot of in 2014, which is the first year of the man boys. There was a lot of like serious high production snowboarding going on. Yeah. Like, you know, that's it. That's all. I think art of flight came out around that time too. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there was, I don't know. It was just, it was, I, I feel like we, did it at the right time. It was a breath of fresh air. Yeah, totally. I agree with you there. Also, I'm I'm realizing now that you're talking about like the friendships were real, and also 
you aren't traveling outside of your home. You're in, you're comfortable in your house. Totally. You're like in your backyard with your buddies, and that comes out in in all the like. That's what it was. The connection because like if you're watching a that's it. That's all. Art of flight, especially or or depth perception or not fourth depth, phase. Fourth phase. You're watching fourth phase, and you're going. Wow, this isn't a bunch of homies at home. These are guys traveling around. Stressing about the fucking hundreds of dollars they've spent. Yeah, helicopters filming helicopters and just like this unbelievable life where it's it's refreshing to see man boy stuff. Yeah, and like, you know, like you said, it's not to say that like the tricks we're doing and the features that we're hitting and the places that we're going are relatable because I know that like not. <laughs> the only reason we can do that is because we have supporting sponsors. You know, that's the only reason we can afford sleds and right. afford to spend our whole winter doing that. I understand that. But I think the like charisma and the personality that we're like carrying with it is something that people can relate to. And yep. we're not trying to be super like epic and crazy. It's just like, right fucking goofy and you know there is a part of watching somebody who's paid to snowboard jet set around the world Mm -hmm. that is kind of like you sort of feel bad for them you know what i mean you kind of feel bad this guy's not at home and having fun he's out and he's stressing and he's doing a thing in a spot where he's never been before as opposed to like there's a relaxed mode that you guys are in the, actually, totally. okay, sorry, that's the thing. Sorry, that's I lost my track there when I said the dead horse thing. Here's the real deal. What I was thinking was... I do, I do like what you said, though, for you the record. You don't that's... want to, as a human being watching snowboarding, I don't want to... I don't aspire to travel around the world and be away from my family. Mm-hmm. But I do aspire to have good friends and, and go out to a fucking cool spot. Like, and, yeah, and... and because it's, your sleds. it's and, more obtainable. Yeah, and totally... Yeah. You got to slide back by yourself when the sun is waning to go do your job. Mm-hmm. I can relate to that. That's like what everybody does. Everybody yeah. goes and snowboards in their spare time and does their work and family shit around that shit. But you're really alive when you're out there with your buddies and you're and you're just having a good time. And that's what Man totally. Boys brought to like I, I, the first ones. Were, the web series was like on Trans World, right? Yeah, and the first the first season was. It was kind of a poor start to the season, the 2014 year. So mm. we uh, we hit the panic button and, and drove to Cook City, Montana. So our, our uh, web series started off in Cook City. It was all our first time being there. But then the rest of the, the series from, like, mid-January on was all Whistler. Right. And we've, you know, we've... And then 2015 was kind of a hard year, too. <laughs> well, actually, 2015 was, since I've lived in Whistler, was, like, the worst season. So that was the year we traveled most. But... Pretty much other than that, we, like, filmed most of our stuff here. We do, like, a trip to Japan here or there, like, right. maybe a Europe trip, more just, like, to mix it up totally. and have some different footage. Sure. Or we do what we call, like, the BC trifecta. It's, like, Whistler, Revelstoke, Stewart. Rad. You know, the, you like, you do that triangle, like, depending yeah. on what conditions you're doing. And it's like you said, man, it, I, we're comfortable here. And it's not, it's not that we don't know how to find spots in other places. It's that this place is actually just really fucking good. And it's nice to work your ass off all day and have a long day and then go home to, like, your own bed and, like, your right. own closet totally. full of food and, like, oh, make, like, a proper yeah. meal and then, yeah. make, like, make your lunch the next day. Have a girlfriend. There. Yeah, That's totally. something that comes up a lot on the Man Boys podcast is how difficult it is to have girlfriends and travel <laughs> yeah. around, right? Dude, it is. Yeah. No, it they don't must like, be. They don't like it. No. <laughs> they don't. 
they they it it sounds all romantic and sexy and you're oh I'm dating this pro snowboarder guys and, but then all of a sudden the reality kicks in and it's like wait you're never fucking here right right this, like even if you are here even if you're like in Whistler like you're not here busy and I and I and I don't and yeah busy too riding the hill filming whatever it is but like I mean like your mind. Like my girlfriend that I have now, she's awesome. I love her, she, and she's she's understands me so well now. But like she's like right now, I'm in the point because like the season's just getting started. She can tell like I have a lot of shit going on, and some like sometimes she'll just say like you're you're not here. Like my mind's always zipping around somewhere. Yeah, of course. Thinking, What's the next move? What's the next thing I got to do? Like where are we going next? what I want to do with my year. Like what, what are we doing with man boys? Like what's the next interview I got to do? Whatever. Like yeah. I'm always like somewhere else. And I think it's really hard for, for, a, I, for a girl to, you guys beat up on yourselves a lot on the podcast. Well, oh, now here we are talking about our girlfriends again. But I'm like, <laughs> I think that's what people want to hear. I, I personally, Cause, cause like, I kind of like it. Yeah. Cause yeah. not just kind of like it. I really like it. Cause yeah, everybody struggles with their, Relationships, you know, whether you have one or you're trying to get one, it's pretty hard to get a, a good relationship going if you're not home very often. For sure. And then it's, it's hard to maintain one if you're not home very often, obviously. Yeah. So, like, I kind of like that real talk that you guys you guys get into. I I also I'm, like the I'm stoked I, to hear that. Yeah, I like <laughs> the idea that um, again, same man boys vibe. Like, people come here to ride and film. Mm-hmm. They should be on your podcast 100 percent of the time. You should have. You, you should, but I know that it, I know how much time it takes and effort. It's kind of a pain in the ass. Sometimes eh? it's. I feel like we just need a better system. Like I, I like this little thing you have here. We've been we've been plugging our mics into a computer and yeah, we always deal with get like one weird, of these. That's fucking. I'll leave you this one. Just plug your mics into this. You don't need to leave me that one. What do you? You got to use it. This is my backup. I gave the other. I had another backup. I gave to Jess because I. Dude, we'll just send me. Send me. Let me <laughs> yeah. know what that is. Send me, okay. and we'll just yeah. order one. I don't want to take your backup because that thing is good for walk and actually walk and right. Record. Okay, you, thanks. You need, you need that. But let me know what what <laughs> yeah, that is. I'll and send we'll you the specs one. on it because that's the one that you want to get. Look on Craigslist. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I'll hustle and bustle. Hustle and get, and get one. Because but it it just changes the it changes how easy it is because that just plugs into a well that's just way easier than we're computer. always dealing we always so how we do it is we like plug the two mics into the computer and go off GarageBand and yep. we're constantly dealing with like oh fuck like weird shit happens and yeah. it just doesn't like having like two USBs running in but this is easy because it goes straight to it yeah memory card and you're yeah good. and you could put two more mics in here and two more of these setups you could have four people around this table plus you'd have a, a fifth if you wanted yeah, remote that's epic it's sick. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> going back to what, what you're saying about like everybody coming here and film, I'm sorry, knocked out my empty cans there. Everybody coming here and wanting to film cause it's the Mecca there. What do you think about like, we, we are always getting pushed to like go somewhere, like go elsewhere, like film in different places. Like you guys need to like change up what you're doing. And like, I know absinthe is like Hassanik doesn't love using whistler footage for example really I, i've heard that okay i haven't asked him personally but sure I've heard sure, sure like he yeah. likes to minimize whistler footage because he just feels like whistler's played but don't you think it's kind of a weird thing that like just because yes. we live here like think, people come here to film i think it's a really weird thing but like also when dana was talking about like he, he kind of looks at the snowboard industry from this kind of you know i don't want to say snooty down his nose kind of thing because he's not that at all yeah but he can't understand how anyone would film or shoot the same trick that someone else did at a spot. Like once that spots had that Dan trick done, said that? yeah, 
because not skating. Once that spot is is done mm-hmm. for that trick, why would you go do that there? And I I don't agree. Okay, I, I've never agreed. It, it's it's yeah. so different than skating. Sure, skate spots don't move. It's okay, fucking, it's yeah. like concrete, and it's and I can I can respect that for oh, skating. Yeah, I think that's a right, super cool right. part about skating. But like, guess what? Backcountry and Dano should know this. I know he does know this. Backcountry spots change every fucking year. Right. The wind changes them. The landing is either steeper or flatter. Right. The gaps either bigger or smaller. Like. They're fucking different every year. Form, He's going to be listening to this. Is, I, I can't is, speak for it, him. <laughs> Dan, 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 for the record, Dano, I love you. I'm yeah, saying this. We love you, buddy. All the, list, all the listeners. Every, everything changes every year. Yeah. And how about this for size? Skaters can take two to three years and just and then boom, all of a sudden, at any point in the year, because the time to buy skate product is not restricted to a specific two months. Mm. It's 12 months of the, of the year. So at any point in the year... They can take three years off and or take three years to film a video part and then just drop a fucking amazing video part in a movie or now an amazing online part that they spent three years filming. Snowboarders are expected every year to just have content, 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 content. Yeah. And okay. so like there's the fact that we have that we have pressure on us to constantly be putting stuff out year after year after year and the season is short, so it's like, oh fuck. It's good now and I've been like I've been trying to do a switchback seven on this, but I've tried four times and I can't land it and the landing's fucked. I'll just do a cab five. Just just to get something in the bag. Yeah, sure. And then boom, your cab five gets run. But nobody knows that you were hustling to do a switchback seven on that Except feature that's Dano, never been. Dano knows. He's like, You didn't get that seven, so you can't take that five with you, buddy. Yeah, that's exactly. like that's basically what he he was kinda of calling. Which I totally understand. But yeah. It's just it's just he's different. a purist. Just he's get, he's he's a part of the the very first or second Whistler purists. Yeah. And those guys were hard on each other. For sure. And they pushed the industry because of that purism that they had really for yeah. and and he's shot with Devin so much right like and Devin oh, is like OG purist as far as I'm yeah. concerned like back in the day I remember hearing people talk about his he was like he just like curated his footage that went out into the world yeah which a lot of people don't have that luxury mm-hmm. you know because they don't have that much stuff it's just like milk every single thing that you get I feel like Devin when I first started watching his video parts, I feel like he had so much to choose from. And he, like, I feel like he was yeah. like always a trick machine. Yeah. Can oh I, yeah. Can I do a, take a piss real quick? Fuck. Of course you can. I, I snapped on some skiers from Utah two years ago and or Utah or where, fuck, where are they from? Somewhere like in the States. People that just rolled up on your spot and you were just like, they were like following us around all day. They're like, oh, these, I think they're, there's, they were, they are pro skiers. Yeah, I think one of them rode for Rockstar or something, and they were like, we're up in the Rutherford, and first we were riding some lines, and they like rolled up on the bottom of these like big lines and just like watched us ride them, which just brings me back to the like yeah. transceiver signal thing. It's totally. like I don't know your guys' ability, like I don't. That was whatever. I didn't say anything to them, and then like later in the day, they like we were building a jump on this face, and like right beside this face, there are these like nice lines that were like right beside this jump. Yeah, clearly we're gonna hit the jump and then ride these lines after because totally. they're like. 40 feet away yeah they just like start using the double track that we had like spent like an hour punching oh, up fuck. to go ride these lines that's bad for and then i oh super bad and then when we when we hit the jump for the first time and noticed that not only were they riding our lines but they had like 
fucking trenched out the double track that we made all nice. Oh, no. I was just like, that's it. <laughs> I just, like, <laughs> rolled up and had, like, a huge blowout at them. But Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't know. I'm, I'm not saying it should be, like, all, like, gnarly localized like surfing is, but I just feel like sometimes it's a little soft and everyone's just... All right. Well, I just I fucked up and I didn't start record until the begin the middle of that little okay. bit. So, but I do want to talk about Hawaii mm-hmm. and your and your experience there and that whole thing I just said yeah. about Whistler being our Hawaii. And yeah. I think that surfers would probably agree and say, yeah, we would watch a, a movie that's all shot in Hawaii. That would kind of make it more attractive. Then you know because I'm sure surfers are probably tired of the of that world travel thing too, right? There's there's certain waves that people are going to hit. They're going to get them when they're good, but I I think there is some substance to local knowledge. Mm-hmm. And if you fly up here from Utah and you rent sleds and you go out in the Whistler backcountry with one guide and you wind up at one spot. Um, there's a different vibe than if you're going back there and exploring like what you guys are doing yeah. and opening up. I, I'm assuming you guys are opening up new terrain and exploring places and trying to anyways. Yeah. Like, we, it's, we spend a lot of time trying to find new stuff Yeah, and like to someone I will really give credit to is guys like Mikey Rents and Aaron Leyland and Sollers cause Sollers when he's not with us rides with them a lot cause of the Burton thing. And yeah. like those guys are always putting in the work to find new zones so I can only imagine how frustrated Rents must get when people just start like geotagging his own that he found or following his tracks out to his own, and we we try and do that. We try and find new zones too. Like, right. So we want we want to hit new shit. We want to hit different shit. But oh, okay, just so to touch on that like yeah, Hawaii yeah, yeah. thing, it's like yes. maybe maybe it's because that hasn't really been done so much. Like where it, surfing is different because there isn't as much of a video part scene there is but all of the video part guys had like world tour standings had like ct ct you know they did they did good on the tour yeah whereas like snowboarding there are guys like me that just skipped the whole contest thing and started filming video parts so there's a bit more of like a media pro snowboarder type thing than there is a strictly media pro surfer type thing unless you had like a history doing something else before like Dane Reynolds, like, you know, he was a competitive surfer before he was just, like, Dane. Like, right. the coolest surfer, one of the coolest surfers that exists, in my opinion. Right. So there hasn't really been many, like, strictly Hawaii films. But there's been a lot of films that have been, like, mainly filmed in Whistler. Right. So maybe that's, that's it. Maybe that people are it. just sick of seeing the same spots. Because it could be. Whether you're whether you're core, like Dan O'Pendegrass, or whether you are pay half attention to snowboard films, like, eventually you're going to recognize the spots. That's true. So I can understand why people are like, let's see some new tricks. That's but probably what it is for Dano is that he recognizes all the spots. And right? he's been, like, in Dano's defense, it's he's been filming the OGs doing back was, sevens and cab fives and all these spots forever. He was there when the forever. shit was getting named. You so know what I mean? to see, yeah. like, yeah, yeah. Chris Rasmussen and Jody Wachniak <laughs> doing, like, a front three and a fucking cab five off for him step down, like, that's not that... That's, sure, you know. sure, 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 sure. But I... We tried, like, we really tried to hit different spots we sure. put a focus on hitting new shit as much as we can we will waste sunny days and in quotations waste yeah to make sure we just go that little bit farther to make sure we try and hit something a little bit different 
but sometimes you can't You're when not, when it's when it's January twentieth and no one has a video part worthy shot yet because the season has handed you has handed you like a really interesting bag of variables. Yeah, you're gonna get desperate because mm-hmm. you have to produce content every year. You can't just be like we're doing a three year project, right? So you're eventually you're gonna get to a point where you're like, oh fuck, we're driving by like Hot Gap or we're driving by Form Step Down and it looks good. Like let's just fucking hit it now. Let's hit it today. Yeah. Let's hit it today. So we do that sometimes. Yeah, I would see that. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing I'm thinking while you're saying this is that. Uh, I would rather see you guys film on something that you've either discovered or something that you've hit a bunch of times mm-hmm. that you're comfortable with and it's filled in and perfect and it's great. Yeah. Then, because when you travel, you're not going to get to go beyond what's already there. Mm-hmm. When you travel, you're going to go to the biggest thing. Okay, what's built right now or what can we build pretty quick? You're going to have to go with a guide to get to where yeah. the thing is. As opposed to in Whistler, you guys get to go out on your own and find some cool Dude. shit totally we yeah, get to so. nerd out on google earth and then yeah. we get to yeah. the next day when the snow is shitty we get to go and explore and like it's just it's cool having this train in your backyard and that's fun and like i i have like in my phone i have like an, on a notes page yeah like a checklist of features that haven't been hit yet that i have looked at and i know will work like there's like a big gap there's two big gaps that i have in my head right now that i'm just waiting for the Red. all it takes is the right like combination of like a thick snowstorm mixed yep. with the right wind direction. Yeah. And yeah. something that was way too ridiculous before will all of a sudden become reasonable. Like, like, do you, do you know the jump man boy gap? Do you remember that thing we, we found yes. in name? Yes, 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 yes. So I got up, we uh, hit that in, in the first man boys year was the first year we hit it. That's why we named it man boy gap. And then I also had a, co- a fold out cover of snowboard mag on it. And we've hit that thing two or three times now. Like that thing is fully wind dependent. Some right. snow years you'll go there, even if it's good snow year, you'll go there and there's just not a jump there. And then some years it just is sick and works. Oh, that's amazing. So I have like a checklist on my phone of like things that I want to go that. back to. And like every year I like slide back. I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe next storm, maybe next storm. You just but watch it. That's just killer. watching. But I it's, like that. it's, it's a lot, it's a lot harder than people think to find new shit. Yeah. To find shit that works. Obviously. Like it's. What was that big, um. That absolutely massive. It was a front three. Oh, the El Chapo. What the hell was that? So, <laughs> oh my god! Just watching your landing on that is yeah. like high speed are fucking you joking wheelie. Ah. That seems in, that seems impossible. That's so, that, that is huge and yeah, like could give me nightmares. I fucking love that. And you hit it so good, dude. Thanks, man. Yeah, that was one and done. First hit. I got to I got to watch Ejac try it first and kind of go like five feet too deep yep and then i saw where he started from and i was like i'm gonna start like six feet lower than him and yeah and i just got lucky and got in the right spot but uh so, so that thing we um i hit it with the jacksons both john and eric and we named that thing el chapo <laughs> for obvious reasons yeah so that zone is uh is in a zone that we nicknamed the refrigerator which i will also credit to mikey rents i'm pretty sure rents and leyland found that zone and pretty far back there it's like a 60 kilometer sled ride and it's a really good zone to go to in the spring because it's this roly-poly wall with like jump spots and cliffs everywhere cool and pretty much everything is north facing nice you can go there when the sun's really warm and everything else is slushy and sun baked and all of these north facing aspects will be kind of dark but we'll have pow landings epic um and so in the man boys movie we were spending some time with the whole crew 
building jumps there. Uh, Craig McMorris broke his leg on a jump in that zone. And then me and Rusty had a jump, like, kind of in another area there. And um, a couple days before Craig broke his leg, I saw a cliff there, and I was like, oh, I wanted to go from the top, like El Chapo. And, like, I was looking at it, and Rusty came on the radio and was like, dude, that thing's, like, 60 feet, just so you know. Like, it's a little crazy. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll just, I'm going to ride in natural and just, like, hit it from down here and just do, like, a fresh front three. And so I did it, landed it for the Man Boys movie. And then um, the next year, would have been two, whatever, 2017. Yeah, yeah, the next year after the Man Boys movie, I took the Jacksons there and I was like, oh, I have a thing, like, I want to check out. And, like, if it doesn't work, that's okay. Like, there's a bunch of spots to build jumps in that area. And they're like, yeah, dude, sweet. Like, they're both just so down. So I took them all the way out there. And everything just looked right. I'm like, oh, there's more snow right now than there was during the Man Boys year. Like, it's not 60 feet. It's, like, 52 feet <laughs> or whatever. Like, it, it was just a little bit smaller where it looked doable to go from top shelf. I'm so I we, real. like, checked it out from, like, every different angle. And I convinced them to help, to help build it with me. And it was just a step down. So, basically, the build was, like, making sure the in-run was manicured. Like, super slow motion, slow moving in-run. Just flat yeah. takeoff. And it was, like, this, it's like this little bump where you wanted to land on yeah and the snow was not that good like very not powder just like kind of hot pow but it was fucking steep as like as you can tell probably from the footage like really steep landing so it's like okay if you land in the sweet spot you'll be good and yeah we just we roshamped eric lost he went first i went second (laughs) wow he 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 didn't he tried a cab five and he like almost got it first tee, but just went a couple feet too deep and then i went second landed the front three one and done and then him and John teed off, like, I think twice more each until they got their trick. Like, Eric got a cab five and John got a back three. But that, that was, like, the biggest step down I've ever hit, for sure. Yeah, it's and massive. It, but it just worked. Like, yeah. it's, I know it seems crazy. I'm, I'm not trying to be, like, fucking evil Knievel stunt guy. But, like, sometimes you see something and you're like, oh, this is crazy and big. But, like, I'm – you're strapped in when you snowboard. Right, right. And, like, even if it's, like, not the greatest snow, like – it's still snow it's kind of soft so if there's transition and if you understand like snowboard physics like you can just make it work you know like we're not psychopaths we're just like (laughs) we're like weird weird physicists yeah (laughs) right i don't know i remember uh, was it that's it that's all that travis was drawing the transitions and showing like they were out there with an angle reader going okay this landing is like and i remember being art of flight art of flight could have been the first one yeah yeah and that's that's always the first. Oh, sorry. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. That's. I think that's what. I, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. But I can remember, like, in the early days of park building, they didn't put any thought into any of that. No, Sometimes they just you would pushed have like a wedge a, with a cat yeah, there, a tranny finder that everyone was going to flat on, or you'd have something that had absolutely no landing. <laughs> that every time you landed, it was People an were impact. overshooting. It was just a, yeah. even if you hit the landing, the landing's only like. There's, not, yeah. there's definitely, a, I feel like, in park building, a lot more math and science that goes yeah. into making all these jumps. Because when I when I was like, when I still rode big park jumps, park jumps are going through their step down phase. So like when we're right. talking about grouse, so like the sh- the showdown over the city events yep. of grouse, like it was super in to build these tower cheese wedges. Yeah, on a fucking like tabletop, and then you would like they'd be like kickers so you're still going up yeah but you're like stepping down into the park landing way down so that was yeah. super in so yeah. it was like always like really hard on the knees you were like going 
super big and deep on these like you know mediocrely steep landings yeah. now i feel like there's a lot more science that goes into it and i think that is part of the reason why tricks have progressed to where they are in the park is they're like step up and over style but yeah. tables yeah so like the the takeoff is never more than five or six feet higher than the knuckle totally and so if you like look at your access like you can't see right now because we're doing the podcast but try yeah look at your access it's like you're not falling from as high as you were before you're Absolutely. still having the same like amount of seconds of airtime to complete your trick in but you're not like coming down super hard yeah and oh, so man. that's for park i think that's really changed snowboarding how how many but, days a year do you get in the resort here? Like, do you buy? Do, do your sponsors buy you a pass? Or are you pa- sponsored by Vale Resorts? Do we want to get into the Vale Resorts <laughs> bit of Whistler? Well, um, I don't get as every year. I get less and less. Yeah, just because I get busier and busier. Okay. Um, so I don't get to ride the resort as much as I'd like to. Mm-hmm. But I fucking love the resort. I All love right. where I live. Whistler Blackham is amazing. Yeah. Um, for the last six years, Whistler Blackcomb has supported me and just given me a pass. Amazing. So I start the season riding as much park as I can, and then as soon as it's good enough to slide, we start going. And then on down days where maybe it got too windy and the powder sucks or maybe it's cloudy, I ride the resort on down days. Um, cool. So Whistler's always been great and super supportive. And the uh, transition now, to Vail was fine? No, it wasn't fine. Um <laughs> I don't. I don't want to go too down that rabbit hole, but yeah. um, Whistler is still Whistler, and and the people that stayed and still work for Whistler, despite the Veil takeover, are still who they are. They're still amazing people. They still eat, sleep, and breathe snow sports, and they're here for the right reasons. But Veil is a massive corporation, and they're not in the business of making people excited to go up the mountain. They're in the business of making money, so they're not here to me like look at all these athletes we have riding a resort check out this epic powder day they're more like hey wealthy families from all over the world book your trips here months in advance come here spend money yeah and so i get it i'm not hating on like there's just a corporation trying to make money and do well with shareholders they got to please it is what it is but it's definitely not it's not doing anything positive for the community here or for the core culture or for what basically what makes Whistler Whistler and like one of the things that I moved here for and loved about this town like those aspects of it are a little bit lost I still got a pass this year yeah. from Vail nice but it wasn't Vail that gave me a pass it was people got that, it. that that work for Vail now that are good people that work their ass off to that, get no. me a pass yeah yeah so it's not I didn't get a pass from Vail I got a pass from Whistler yeah I remember watching that happen in the snowboard industry you know like mm-hmm. as more companies came in that didn't have a clue about the culture of people that's what happened to a lot of the pros in the early 90s through to the 2000s mm-hmm. was that a team manager that would come on didn't really you know they they would just bring their friends on they'd say oh we know these new young riders and then the heritage riders guys would just get bumped yeah. like just not get re-signed or which is really really tough if you put your heart and soul into a brand Totally. To go to the next brand, and it's usually either a step down, or even if it's a lateral movement, it's always weird, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas like a guy like Jamie or Matt Cummins, who's been on the same team for 25 years, that's some sick-ass shit right there. That's why LibTech Gnu have such a high number of people that w- would 
you know, that are in the industry that would say, oh, yeah, that fucking company, they've never done, you know, like, anytime you hear those guys, even Romaine, talking about Burton, yeah, even Terrier, he's been on Burton forever, but it's not easy for him to see his friends have to leave the team. For sure. Right? Like, that's a bummer. Yeah, it's... So yeah, I'm I'm hyped on I'm hyped on on Lib still having Mike and Pete at the helm, and and doing the right thing by their team riders. They seem to be doing that. They are, and they're they're definitely doing their best to stay true to that too, despite numbers and sales being being down and being up and then being down. Like they are definitely, I think, doing the best job in comparison to other brands out there for keeping real to that and just keeping it more like a family and less of like a cutthroat company. I mean, they've still had to make some hard decisions over the years. Like mm-hmm. they're still riders. They've had to let go of that. I know they did not want to let go of. Right. But, um, do you see Terrier when you're in, in Hawaii? Yeah. Do you guys the, talk snowboarding at all? Or are you just like yoga and surfing or family? Just, what's, what's the deal with Terrier in Hawaii? Well, two key words there are the word talk and the word Terry in the same <laughs> sentence because he, right. he's definitely pretty dry and pretty it's a quiet dude he's quiet and yeah. he's he's uh, I t- extravagant I t- or not extravagant what's the word uh, eccentric in his own eccentric. way like he's he's so we, we I, pretty much I always just like run into him there and yeah. run into each other in the surf we don't talk about snowboarding we talk about surfing cool we talk about where oh where did you surf yesterday we just kind of talk story just shoot the shit I, dude, when I'm in Hawaii, I try. I, I don't even really think about snowboarding. You're taking a vacation. It's, it's my like mental reset. It's like cool. my mental yoga to like when I. So when I come back here and it's December, I'm like ready to go and I'm motivated again because otherwise it's it can be a bit draining. Did your girl go with you this time? She did. That's for, it. For the first time since I've been dating, I've gone there twice since dating her where she didn't come. Yeah, and this is the first time where she was like. She she has a job where she can work from home now, so she came for the whole month and amazing. She got to see all my spots and get to go on our friend's boat around the island a bunch. And she was she was funny. I was like worried about her hating me just going and surfing like all day. Sure, but she's like I'm kind of down. Like I sit on the beach and get to tan, read for two hours, then you come back and then we go for lunch somewhere, then you go and do it again. I tan more, you come back. She's like, when you're snowboarding, you just are gone all day or you're traveling. <laughs> so <I'm> like, <laughs> I totally get like, it. Okay, word. Yeah, you like surf trips more. I That's understand. sick. That's yeah. sick. Yeah, I really took it personally when I first talked with Terry and it was so awkward. Mm-hmm. I thought, he's so fucking cool and I'm such a fanboy. I'm fanning out. I don't think you need I, to worry about that. I know he's... I don't have to worry about it now because I've talked with him a bunch more. Mm-hmm. And also... I didn't realize until the last time, after the last time I talked to him, I was like, okay, we're going to do this interview. Here's the, here's the general idea of what I'm thinking. Yeah. And I always managed to put the Olympics in there somewhere. <laughs> and it's like, that's like the dumbest topic thing in the world. It's like there's one guy in the world who said, Olympics, I don't care for those. Yeah. And everybody talks to him about the fucking Olympics. It's like the one thing he doesn't want to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I've just finally figured that out. So I'm going to start this last interview with him saying, I'm sorry I always fucking talk about that shit. It must be <laughs> annoying as hell. Next, The next interview you start with him, you're going to start at saying, we're not going to talk about the Olympics. Yeah, because there's no yeah. reason to. Yeah. If I want to talk about the Olympics, I'll, I'll call Mark yeah, McMorris like or someone in- who likes them. Influential person who you know 
people from your generation and from my generation and generation down were very affected by like terry is a big deal always has been so when someone like him makes such a bold statement about something like it people don't forget yeah no it's important yeah it's important but it's like it's like you know you don't want to ask the guy who hates the olympics about the olympics it's just a bad combination of (laughs) totally because he's told me that he hates it yeah he hates it that people ask and i'm like okay so we'll put that at the end then it's funny i'm my relationship (laughs) with terry is like I don't know him super well, but I feel like me and him just connect because of the, like the Kauai surf thing. Cause he's got a house there. Cause my grandparents have a house there. So like whenever I run into him, even if it's in the winter, he's always just like, Hey man, you've been surfing. You've been to Kauai. No man, not since November. Like, so we kind of have this like funny, like out removed from snowboarding. That's rad. I'm pretty sure the last time Terry said something to me about snowboarding was like, in, like 2012 or 2013. What I did this like intersection contest with a bunch of friends for yeah. the world's game snowboarding festival here. And I, that's, we hit a step up jump in Brandywine and that's when I first learned, uh, like a double rodeo. Yeah. And I remember him coming up to me after it and just being like, well, man, that movie was sick. That double rodeo, that shit was sick, man. That's some like Travis Rice shit. Nice work. And just like super dry and like, yeah, man, good job. And he just, just like walked away and I was like, holy fuck. <laughs> that was so cool. <laughs> that I, was la- I'm pretty sure that was the last time I talked about snowboarding with Terry. He, he's such a nice guy. It, like is. that he he's, really really is he's he is yeah it's, yeah it's too bad that like because i don't know how i'm gonna word this you get as you as you start to get put more in like the limelight of your sport or of whatever profession it is you excel in like you do get more and more people giving you those types of compliments it's too bad that the ones that matter so much have to be from people like him because I wish there was some way to just like naturally filter out the genuine ones from the ones that are just people ladder climbing because I have random people that I don't know giving me like awesome compliments all the time. And I try and like, I try and take them all super like genuinely, but sometimes you, it's like, Oh, you know, that person just wants to be your friend or, and then some of them are like super real. You're like, that person is genuinely being like what you do really inspires me. And that was amazing. I don't know where I'm going with that. I just wish there was some way to like, it doesn't have to be a person like Terry to affect me. Sure, I wish sure. I could just like filter out easier. Like that was real. That wasn't, <laughs> that was, you know, it's tough, isn't it? It yeah. is. I, I think there are very few pro riders that had the impact that Terry had because he's not a big talker. That's the thing. He was the opposite of a big talker. He, he let his, he let his riding do the talking. So if he yeah. says something to you, yeah, it's like, whoa, it, it really <laughs> means something. Yeah. That's, that's definitely there was a point where i was looking at um my podcast you know the likes and all the things that you do to try and figure out whether it's working or it's relevant or what. do yeah, people what even happening? care like, yeah, are yeah, people yeah, yeah. <laughs> is there people listening so i was i was trying to explain it to myself i guess and i don't know i i feel like the big comments you know what i mean like what you're just talking about like if somebody that you really actually care about their opinion says, Hey man, that was great. You just go like, I don't care that there's only 27 likes on that. That's like mm-hmm. Jamie Lynn commented on it, which he never has, but yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I, it's, it's tough I in do. this day and age because you guys as pro riders, your content is like what you're, 
metrics are for what you're selling to the sponsors, right? Mm-hmm. And like, numbers, it's all numbers. And that, that kind of goes back to what I was saying before about it, it probably being really confusing for brands right now, where to put their money and where to like, right. Everyone needs like constant content and more stuff on social media. Cause everything's numbers. But at the end of a day, it's like, if something gets like 10,000 likes, like that's literally someone just scrolling through and double tapping their yeah. thumb yep. on a photo. They're like, Oh, that was cool. Or on a post. They're like, Oh, that was cool. But how much did that post really connect with them? Maybe if I get, if I post something that I think is really rad that I did and it gets 10,000 likes, but if there's 50 people of those 10,000 that I really connected with and one of them comes up to me and is like, dude, that blah, blah, blah you did. Like, that was so sick. I just want to say like, I'm a huge fan of your writing. Like you really inspire me. Like, blah, blah, you heard this interview of you, whatever. And it's like a real connection. I can tell that I like made a difference for that person. Like to me, 10 of those or 20 of those or whatever is way more valuable than 10,000 double taps from your fucking thumb. Right. Cause the 10,000, there's no way to gauge that. Right. The 10, yeah. The 10,000 can be gamed, right? Like, Mm -hmm. like there are people that can just buy likes and people, but even beyond that, even, even beyond buying likes, it's like what I'm, what I'm getting at is like, it's, it's very easy to just double tap a thing. Especially totally. if you're also in, in the game of being uh, an influencer yeah, or of being yeah, on Instagram. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. You see Sorry, personal right now and, and pro athletes, like everyone's stressing, so everyone's trying to engage. It's like, yeah. like, 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 comment, 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 comment. Everyone's just trying to engage more and everything. Yeah. When, I don't know, like. That's such a job. Just be way, such a job. And that it, is a big job. There was a guy. It's like authentic, authentic interaction. Yeah. Like if you really, yeah. Yeah, 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 really yeah. influence someone, like, let, let's say let's say I make a post and like 10, 10 of my followers or only 10 of my 12,000 followers are genuinely influenced from me. And out of those 10, how many of them would be bold enough to come up to me and tell me that they're sure. influenced from me? Sure. Yeah. So that, so out of those 10, or I've only, I've only, I've only, those are like your close friends. That means, but if let's say, let's yeah. say for, let's, let's just say for sake of argument that they're random people, let's say I've influenced 10, okay. 10 random people. Sure. 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 Cause, cause what's, what's my job? My job is to sell product. Like yep. I'm, uh, that is, that is why I'm a paid snowboarder. Like I'm, I'm selling product. I'm selling a lifestyle. So let's say I influence 10 random people. Only one of them has the guts to like say something to me, whether that's like reach out and send a private message to me on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, or see me in public and say something. Now I've tr- only tracked in my head one of those right. intimate connections, but there might be nine more. Sure. So it's like, how do you explain to a brand when they're looking for numbers? No, no, no. I know. I know I only got 10,000 like, but 10,000 likes on this, but Joe Blow down the street got 50,000 likes on this. But trust me, like like there's some real engaged people here that will actually buy this product cuz I'm using right. it. How how do you express that to a brand? You can't. Now, you can't. You you just yeah, that's it, there's impossible. no way to do it. And so that is where snowboarding is kind of fucked right now. Yeah, that's And it's I I understand it's hard for brands. I don't want to rag on brands for like I know it's they're in a tricky position too, but it sure as hell not making it easy for the athletes. Yeah, because you can't you can't just buck the system and go, Oh, we're gonna go with this guy who's not plugged in. This Mm -hmm. guy doesn't have any social media awareness or presence or anything. Exactly. Even if he's like a really talented snowboarder, a really wicked person and then there's yeah, you Jamie know, not, Lynn has to have this shit, dude. Jamie Lynn has to like curate his Instagram, or at least get somebody to do it for him. Mm-hmm. Like it, he has to, or else people are gonna forget about him. It, it or it, he just won't get the free stuff, which supports the lifestyle 
that he wants to live. Yeah, man. That's that's the hardest thing about this. And it comes back to what I said at the beginning about that wanting to be the best. Mm-hmm. So if you measure the best as the guy who's got 50,000 likes versus wanting to be the most authentic, like, oh, eventually they're going to be able to wait likes and be like, oh, these ones are just like throwaway likes. Mm-hmm. And these ones are, ooh, he got liked by whatever, Donald Trump or something carries so much more weight than some other random like person or whatever. Imagine there's like, as like technology progresses and there's like some way to measure those, the algorithms can get really crazy or maybe they incorporate like some type of AI that it's like, okay, you got yeah. 50,000 likes, like what percentage of those likes like go to the LibTech website right? and what percentage of those likes are like doing, you know, like if, right. the, if the algorithm could get really crazy, like how many people do you like really influence? How many people are just like liking your shit because they're just double tapping? I don't know. It's and they just, want you to like theirs. There's there's exactly. so many they're things. They're commenting on it because they want you yeah. to follow yeah. them. You yeah, know yeah, yeah. That, I get it. Like people like constantly, it's like, okay, this person's clearly commenting on every single thing I post because they're like, hello, I'm here. Follow me. <laughs> follow me. Yeah. They, and then I'm talking about other pro snowboarders. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, because that would make sense. Like even me interviewing you, I'm I'm thinking like I overheard Jody talk about like the number of downloads you guys get per episode, mm-hmm. which I kind of knew. Like I'm going, I'm looking at my own numbers going, I would be shocked if, if man boys didn't get more downloads because they've got so many followers. Yeah. I got like 500 followers or something of like everything. Um, but uh so I'm yeah of course I'm gonna put that in my metric like shit mm-hmm. man, that's why when we talked about doing that movie premiere yeah. I'm going oh fuck if I can piggyback on the Man Boys premiere yeah I'm already on something that's a hundred percent successful mm-hmm. regardless of what my input is into the thing yeah it's too easy for me to like oh it, I was shocked I'm like oh you you aren't doing it yet let me just like lay some footwork and you oh, guys bring dude, the movie down let's that was do that so huge like you don't understand how much like. Well, it was huge for me, too, because as soon as... Very mutually beneficial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You helped us, and I was happy to help you. Yeah, yeah, thank you, and it did help me a lot. So I I think there is, like, there's room for these genuine things. And, like, Mm -hmm. when people ask me about snowboard podcasting, I I don't understand why we wouldn't just be everybody on everybody's podcast, Mm -hmm. if it's relevant, if it makes sense. I mean, I I can't be on your guys' podcast, because you don't have old guys (laughs) that talk about snowboarding (laughs) on your podcast. You don't need them. But, maybe it might be cool, cool to have you come and yeah, no, tell I'm some not, stories one day. Yeah, maybe it's, down the line once you get to that point where you've exhausted every Whistler <laughs> Pro and everybody that flies in. But um, I don't see it being a, a rivalous thing. Mm-hmm. Like I like other all the – You mean our two podcasts? Any po- snowboard podcast. Fuck no. It's podcast just, period. Yeah, podcast period. It's like – the there's, more there's of them enough. there are, yeah, there's not even close to you enough. Could, you could you could pump them out twice a week, and you're yep. gonna have people messaging you being like, "Dude, I listen to your shit every day at work. Like, make more, make more, make more." And it's it's, it's they're fun to make. That's the mm-hmm. thing. And I I don't know. I I listen to probably 20 hours a week of podcasts, just random podcasts. So yeah, once it gets to the point where it's all snowboard podcasts, I don't think that's ever gonna happen. But maybe, um, definitely, yeah. probably not. Yeah, no. But maybe we still have this weird niche little thing. What the world hasn't figured out what is going on yet with no. Instagram and and social media. We we. Uh, anyways, what is happening? You guys are crushing yeah. it. Man, boys are crushing it, and um, 
it's it's always fun to see stuff that you guys are doing. What's Thanks, your man. um what's your goals for this year? What are you guys what's your squad goals? We're we really just genuinely enjoy filming and hanging together and we enjoy doing it here. So the end goal of all of ours is to try and do that as much as possible. Perfect. We we wanna organize our season in a way, whatever however we end up putting out content that we can be here when it's good and that we can film together when it's good. As far as like content deliverables and what and like what we're doing as a project this year, we're kind of still in conversation about it. There's talk about expanding this year and trying to hire another filmer and bringing on another guest, like, you know, getting some other guys like maybe E Jack or Austin Sweeten in there and just Rad. you know making some sort of project what we're talking about right now is like how we're going to deliver the content because right. we don't really want to do a web series again i feel like we've kind of exhausted the web series thing like the five-part web series it's not to say that we won't do that ever again but i feel like right now we're all kind of like let's do something different this year we kind of were all busy like running around doing other stuff so we just we didn't have enough footage together to make a web series so we just did a short film and moving into 2019 we just want to do something different we don't really know what that is yet, but everyone's motivated. We're everyone's back home now. Like I just got home from Hawaii, and Sollers and Jody are here. Rusty's going to be back from the island in a couple of days, so we're overdue for like a, a team meeting, basically. So, <laughs> cool. so stay tuned. But yeah, I'm excited. But we're That's all amazing. we're all filming together again, and sponsors seem keen to support again. So we're we're not going anywhere. And Let's talk about the Travis thing because that was fascinating to me when I first heard it. I was like, "Ooh, that's a really." cool and like in my opinion a really good choice like a a cool fit you know what i mean and again i don't have all the information about it but basically travis selected you to join his pro model collective is that right yeah um is anyone else in that collective it, uh, in Travis's point? line? Yeah. No. Rad. He, he so has like, like five different pro model boards with LibNow. Yeah. Five. Uh, T-Rice Pro, Kids T-Rice Pro, Gold Member, Climax, Orca, T-Rice Pro Split. He has, he has like six six wow. boards in, in the LibTech. Like six boards with his names on it. All different. Yeah. And um, he, dude, basically to, to summarize it, it all started. He, he I think he's just been really busy since they started doing brain farm movies of course so when fourth phase was like wrapped up and i don't think it premiered yet but like when they were wrapped up filming and uh our man boys movie two years ago was like kind of premiering around the world he was at the premiere in colorado or something and he called me when it ended and uh i was at a friend's giving canadian thanksgiving just hanging with some friends and my phone rings and it's travis rice i'm like what see what does he want? Holy fuck. <laughs> we known each other from quick and from lib and stuff. And I'd like kind of loosely communicated with him over the years, but like super loosely, like we definitely didn't know each other. Well, he just called me and like congratulated me on everything that I've been doing was like, he, he thanked me for riding his pro model board for all these years. He's like, dude, I know this calls long overdue, but I've just been busy. Like brain farm shit. It's been crazy. And I just want to say like your part in man boys movie was sick thanks for riding my board all these years. Like I'm convinced you're responsible for a portion of the sales, like for sure. And just like, thanks. And I'm just like, holy fuck. Like, he's for me, he, huge influence for me. Always connected with his style. Like I just like, I'm big fan of Travis always happened. So this was like crazy phone, phone call for me to get. So I'm just like soaking it up. Like, yeah, man, thanks. Like 
that's awesome. But also kind of like, where is this going? <laughs> and then he was just like, we got to get you. He's like, I'm going to talk to Lib. We got to get you a pro model. He's like, I'm a little drunk right now, but like, don't think that this is just a drunk call. Like, I'm not the type of guy to do that. Like, I'm going to follow up with you on Monday. Like, we're going to talk to Lib Tech and we're going to get you a pro model. And he's like, and man, I want to fucking ride with you. Let's do a film together. Let's do something together. And that was that. We wow. hung up the phone and I was like, okay that was crazy <laughs> sure enough like 9 a.m that was on like a saturday sure enough 9 a.m monday calls me back we wrap out a bit about lib tech and season plans and what i'm doing with man boys and he says he wants to do some sort of project with me we don't know what it is yet and he also says he's going to talk to lib and kind of hint to them at getting me a pro model pete sorry was down mike olson was down jesse burton was down and yeah kind of unfolded from there and they were like you've been riding travis's board for all these years like let's um let's instead of just going like boom like new technology new board whatever let's like sneak it into travis's line and offer it in your graphic and some in some different sizes sick so it's it's so for this year it's like a a t-raz like t-rise pro rasman edition offered in different size and my graphic and that's so and yeah, creative and, then, and, and cool then, that's such a like that's such a lib thing totally that's fucking awesome yeah it's, it's pretty rad and so it's they a have, mid-season release it's late season release, so they actually haven't even announced. I think I think they've let some, like I think shops know now. Yeah, and shops yep. are ordering it, but I don't think they have it yet. Right. Um, they're announcing it. I don't even know if I can say this yet. I'm, but I don't know when you're going to release this podcast. We're, <laughs> Wednesday. Yeah, we're good. We're good. December sixth is when Travel Picks drops. Killer. And that is also when LibTech is going to announce my pro model, and I so love I it. think that's when they'll start promoting it. So it's more like just like a late season release. Yep sneaky sneaky amount of i mean i don't know how many they're making right Bertner was just like we'll see he's like they're they're selling good they're going like shops are buying them in can- especially in canada so Killer. maybe they'll make more but yeah that's epic and then yeah we so that that how kind of flattering came, is that that's like fucking big deal yeah, dude it was insane and it was also like it was fucking it's like really it's really touching for yeah. me to, to have that like for lack of a better term because flattering and just like meant a lot to me because i i don't have any hate i don't have any like serious hate for the snowboard industry there are things that i can hate on there are things that i can complain about for sure there are things that i think are whack but i me never having a blow up year and me never getting paid at a young age that's just circumstantial that's not anybody else's fault that's just whatever but to have it like finally happen like that and have like one of my favorite riders like reach out and give me that type of recognition like, it's pretty crazy dude. yeah yeah so exactly. i definitely don't take it for granted i was like this is fucked this, this is so <laughs> insane yeah and then i was and talking with myro kind of right after i found out that uh, that might be how i found out mm-hmm. not positive and he was talking about um your spy goggle yeah so you got to choose a colorway yeah i actually chose um yeah so that and so that one came came together because of marasha he's like hey yeah, he's like I've been talking oh, yeah. to Spy, and, and I've been riding for Spy for for years at this point. Like I've actually been with Spy for quite a while, and um, he was like I've been talking with them, and they were hinting at like maybe adding a new pro goggle to the line, like a pro pro colorway. And I mentioned your name, and they were down. Like super last minute, we have to have something to them in like a few days. Do you have any ideas for pro model goggle? And right away, I was like, Oh yeah, I fucking know what I want. I, I like got on like pinterest and i looked at all these like cool 80s like tron style images that Sick. i like that i just i'm super down with like weird 80s art yep like retro colorful like weird purples and pinks and shit cool and so i like sent them like 15 images that i just thought were really cool and they're like boom love it we're gonna give you a promo goggle Fuck and yeah. so it went from me sending them like a group of 
inspiration photos to them sending me what they mocked up, what their graphic designers made, and being like, here's option A, here's option B, we're on a deadline, like pick one by tomorrow. <laughs> and I, but I really liked what their graphic designer did right away. I was like, that's sick. I like, I like the first one. Let's do that. Oh, that's amazing. So yeah. those, are, those are out in stores. People can get those. No. So my, my board will be in stores like now to soon, like really yeah. soon. Yeah. My goggle is 1920. So my goggle, I'll be receiving samples soon. It won't be in stores till next fall. Got it. That's yeah. That's crazy. That that <clears throat> yeah. You got like a five day deadline to make it for like next year. Totally. It's weird how that shit works. Yeah. Yeah. Even I mean, like I've like I've already finished my my new like Rasmin Pro model. Your with second. Lib, with the second lib, one. Sorry, with LibTech, not with Spy. Yeah. That's the second one for yeah. 2020. Exactly. Jesus. Yeah. I can remember. So far ahead. I can remember when Burton was two years ahead, mm-hmm. and everybody else was just like scrambling to get like this year's shit out. And totally. They were they were always ahead of the game that way. Yeah, the, and it's a lot of people are really now. hard to like. Like, how are you supposed to a know what like the industry thinks will be cool two years ahead of time, and b know what like you think is cool? Like, I've never like drastically changed my style or like the way I dress on a snowboard. Like, I've always been kind of like pseudo baggy, like Devin slash Travis Rice inspired. Yep, you know, but sometimes I'm into different shit. Like I had a few years where I was super into really bright colors. And then like, I don't know, like how are you supposed to know two years ahead of time? What, what you think is cool, what you think the industry thinks is cool. And then you're, you have to like, like I, I, it's probably hard being a designer for these companies. You have to be like, okay, we're going to make this. I hope in two years people are down because we're committing right now. Like, right. I remember when I was a buyer for the shop and I never bought like the, I wasn't the majority buyer, you know, I would always yeah. get the throwaway, yeah. you know, I'd have to buy surf or wetsuits or some like, or the accessories and wax. Like they <laughs> didn't, ex- they didn't put me in charge of like soft goods or hard goods because for me, I know how to order and it's the late, I'm a lazy person. Mm-hmm. If you're a rep showing me a line, I go, here's the order form. Tell me what sizes of what colors are going to be fucking hot in two years. You guys have been talking about it at yeah. meetings. What are you going to be putting in your ads? Yeah, because whatever totally. you put in your ads, make sure we have that in the store, please. Yeah, like because I would. I I remember the year I re- realized what it was. Like I didn't know what the job was because I was a kid when I started working there. You're sitting at a table with another guy going, I think. 18 people are going to come into the store next year and three of them are going to be fat and there's going to be two short guys and the short guy's going to want white pants and the fat guy wants burnt orange like yeah it's insane what you're doing dude it's insane and i I could not sit through those like that's why i got demoted to like i'm like oh interested in like trinkets and wax and how it works and that kind of thing yeah so i could i could go tech talk with people but i could not sit and watch models put on jackets with someone saying oh that zipper is going to be different in production and Mm -hmm. try and imagine what this is going to look like on the rack i was just like falling asleep and hating it but yeah that's i can't imagine being a designer yeah i got a lot of respect for them yeah me too i've never i've never been like super involved um riding for rip curl now Right. It has been fucking awesome so far. And I went down to the headquarters in Australia and got to meet all the people behind cool. the company. And it, that was like the first time in a while that I've been like, it just felt way better than I ever felt when I was on Quicksilver. I was like, oh, these dudes are rad. And so I think now moving forward with Rip Curl, I'm going to have a lot more involvement from 
design so that'll be like a new chapter for me because i haven't really done that much before right so i'll probably have to sit through a lot of those boring meetings and just kind of see how it all works but yeah yeah it's got a lot of respect for those dudes man it's a lot of work and just trying to like follow the trends but then still like try and be unique and make you know right make your your brand's piece stand out but then also like and then like okay like our riders like this but like you know our riders are core and that's not the masses and like there's so much shit yeah i can't even imagine trying to make something that you think is going to have mass appeal mm-hmm. to sell because like you said your job is to sell boards it's not to it's ride product, the, the product that you want mm-hmm. exactly you know what i mean well because do you want what everybody's riding probably not you probably no. don't want to be on whistler and everybody's riding the exact same shit as you but then from a money standpoint you're like well i hope everyone's riding my my board yeah they can totally. ride last year's Totally. Right, as many of those exactly. as you like, guys, because I want that. Well, I mean, yeah, now that I, I mean, I'd always, I, I feel like I've been pretty, at least for the last, like, six six years or so, I've been, I've always been pretty on it with making sure that I'm, like, at least proud of what I'm riding. Cool. Like, even when I, like, I rode for, like, a small kind of startup out of our company, I and I Cooperative. Yeah. They, they had, like, two or three years going there, and then they went out of business. They were just new, trying it out, couldn't hold on, tough times out there. But I was, like, really stoked on what they were about. I was, like, they made cool-looking shit, and they, like, everything was, like, environmentally friendly. I've always, like, tried to make sure I'm, like, down with what I'm riding. Cool. As best as possible. Is it true and, you and buy your own gloves? Is that a true thing? <laughs> I used to. Yeah. Yeah. DeKine's De- been, been sent. That's funny. Okay. Where'd you hear that? <laughs> From Nick. Um, Nick was, like, Chris Rasmussen buys gloves for me, bro. And he rides a – have you ridden Salmon Arms? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you bought them. Yeah, totally. Which is – okay, that, that is a new thing. Like, supporting your friends. Like, actually physically paying money for shit. That's new for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've D- – DeKine, I've always kind of had, like, a, a hookup at DeKine. Okay. Um, where I can – they've been great. I've never, like, rode for them. But I can hit them up at any point and get gloves and backpacks. Sure. And they even sent me some this year. Like they're they're great, right? But like you know, I'm a fan of Nick Haranga. Me and too. He's starting this company, big time. And we coached at camp together all the time, knowing over the years. And, and all of a sudden, I see these fucking salmon arms everywhere, and I was like, "Yo, I want a pair." And he's kind of like poking fun at me, like, "You gotta buy him, dude. Gotta buy him." <laughs> I I know that if I just asked him, like, "Yo, can I get a pair?" He would have given me a pair. But I was like, "I'll 100%. fucking buy a pair." Yeah. So I just like was like, "Yo, how much?" I was like, "That's bought, it." Bought a pair of gloves. That's amazing. And I. I would do that again just because yeah. I think his gloves are really cool and I would I would do that to support him. I, the, I want I want the Bo Bishop glove even though I'm not into hockey. I would, yeah. I want Bo's glove. Yeah, the creativity <laughs> of his of his company is I don't think there's anything out there yeah. that's that's like that. They're very on that same path that LibTech was in the beginning mm-hmm. where they were taking like just inside jokes and local shit and yeah. just Throwing running with a, it and running with it in such like a Keenan, rad way. Keenan Filmer's glove, the Spy versus Fi, and it just says Keenan sucks on it. <laughs> yeah, like, dude. that's so funny. It's amazing. Or like the Finding Demo, like Derek Molinsky, and, and give, giving these like amazing riders who didn't blow up, who are like smaller Canadian names but are so sick, giving yep. them pro model yeah. like things and putting them on. Dude, I was riding with Bo yesterday, my first day snowboarding of the season. Before we like even drop in for our first run, this kid comes up to Bo. I see him like looking at us and it's like me, Sollers and Bo. And I, I thought he was looking at Sollers at first. I was like, Oh, this guy's going to go fan out on Mark. Sure. He wa- walks right past Mark, goes right up to Bo. And he's like, are, Hey man, are you Bo Bishop? I was like, uh, yeah. He's like, 
dude, I bought your gloves. Like, I can I get a photo with you? Like, yeah, I'm gonna go run and get a pen. He made Bo sign his his gloves. That's he bought his salmon gloves awesome. and then got a photo with Bo. That's so it's awesome. Like, That's fucking sick. I really, really, really love that. That is alive and well. Mm-hmm. Like, have you seen the sandwich movie that those guys did? Just watch it. You'll love it. It's okay. it's crazy. It's just like tree jibbing and like... The Salmon Arms guys did? Yeah. It's a shenanigans thing. It's just fucking worth watching, man. Because yeah. it'll remind you of those old movies. It used to be people would make movies with a high eight and just fuck around. I mean, mm-hmm. that's where whiskey came from and all those... Like even the Wildcats, they were just like filming each other and... It's the scene where his sandbox, all that is just like guys with cameras filming their own shit. Yeah. You guys are the, in my opinion, kind of the culmination of that, like the the evolution of that. <laughs> but now you've got such legitimate snowboarding in there that like, and they had yeah. some good shit. Yeah. But there was, they had to put a lot of lifestyle stuff in there. To they, fill it up. They were just fucking around all the time. It's also hard to... Dude, not everyone has the resources to get a sled in a truck and go filming with their backcountry. So, yeah. like, where the man boys had it, you know, we like we we're talking about we we pull on that like relatable heartstring a little bit, like the you know the friends thing and like riding in your backyard and just like having fun in your local mountains. But we all had a bit of a jump start because we all had momentum going. Like Soller's huge oh, name. Soller's already so established at that point. Like Trans World Rookie of the Year, like fucking crazy well-rounded video part for the trans movie like rusty super like you know noteworthy pro like film for the bunch of sandbox movies people movies like belzeal same thing jody and i kind of up and coming but still like noteworthy names already at that point it it wasn't we had a huge advantage is what i'm saying i'm so i'm aware of how like lucky we were to like it was a good time for us to start that but still we couldn't have just started that and been like we're gonna go snowmobile in the mountains <laughs> yeah and yeah film yeah. all year yeah like right away you I know like you. like i said backtracking to the like working during the winter first year of man boys 2014 was the very first year that i decided to not work in the winter i still work in the summer to this day but right first year of man boys i was like I am not working in the winter anymore. Did you I'm think of it out. as like, okay, snowboarding is my job now? Yeah. I mean, I kind of, as soon as I started getting paid, I kind of did. But at that point I was like old enough to be mature about it and being like, okay, if I'm smart, I can like actually make this a real job and like maybe, maybe even save some money through my passion. Cool. So, so I, yeah, I think so. I think I was like, and I, I part of me, I've always had this like, kind of quote i live by where if you if you have a heavy plan it's nothing against people that have plan plan b's like a backup plan i think you need to i think that's good too sure but if you have a super solid plan b are you really going to be putting 110 percent into your plan a dude that's why i stayed at grouse and cypress is because the plan i didn't even really have a plan a i've only operated on plan b <laughs> I was like, I could always just not like snowboarding is super hard work is what it comes down to. Like being a professional snowboarder. Yeah. It's, it's harder than most jobs. I don't think that there are many jobs out there that, that take that kind of passion, dedication. And also like self, you have to teach yourself. Mm -hmm. Like there's so much to it that you're not just going to, you know, like when I started at the post office, they go, you know, can you count to 10 in English and French? And I'm like, do you need me 
to do it or do I just say yes? They're like, just say yes. You're like, yeah, yeah. I'm totally. like, yeah, I could do that. And they're like, basically, you're hired. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it was a little more than that. You had to write a test where you could do basic math as well. But yeah. then that's it. Now, yeah. you, now you've got the job. Whereas, like, snowboard, there isn't any pro that was given their job. You know, even like Ateria, he had to figure out what the hell was going on. Yeah, I mean... I would say maybe maybe we're moving into a, a generation now where cuz cuz now there is soccer dads of snowboarding. Like yeah. now the sport is old enough that there I think there are kids that are having their hand held a little bit more through it and being shown the ropes and you were know the, were the McMorris brothers uh, uh, was that from something like that? How did both mm-hmm. those guys get so crazy? Well, they were fucking good from where they were from, right? They, they, they're they're an anomaly because I mean they were wakeboarders. <laughs> Super funny. They were wow. like really good wakeboarders. Wow. And, and uh, but they both like camp of champs kids. Like yep. went to the summer camps, gymnastics, all that stuff. Like just talented, athletic little kids. So and their parents did nurture their passion, though. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. smart. The McNor the McMorrises definitely their parents were into it and i was fascinated it. by that crash last year i just i could not believe were you guys were any of your guys up there no not for you mean talking about for marks right yeah no, we weren't oh my god but uh torstein was there anto was there like i yeah aaron hogue the photographer was there yeah. like i talked i've heard about it yeah no shit that would have just yeah everybody heard about it like that day kind of thing it was a big fucking deal yeah and so it's it's incredible to see that he's recovered it's i mean obviously it's one of those stories that is like this is impossible that you know he's a beast he's a beast and he's he's super fucking gnarly and competitive yeah he he doesn't like he likes being at the top and he's he's a fucking champion like he he's not gonna let mark will not let something like that bring him down like he's like i I know (laughs) that that it bothered him so much that he got bronze wow you know like like yeah both times yeah there's he he, yeah because he's he's a competitive person and and he he like thrives off of that like stress and that pressure yeah some people have that hey yeah i don't have that me neither like i i i I have Kodak courage. I like cameras. Me too. I do. I, I like do being in front that. of my friends. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I thrive yeah. off of showing off in Me front too. of people Same. I trust. Yeah. I don't thrive off of showing off in front of a huge audience. Right. That's not my thing. Right. You don't That's need to Mark's win. That's thing. Right, right, right. Yeah, that was, that was my thing. I also, I set my goals really low. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, if I can get into trans world, then I can show Sudbury, Ontario. I am the best in yeah. Sudbury, Ontario, right? Like, if I'm in trans world... They get, they're not, none of them are in trans world. That's, yeah. And so I got an ad with some sponsor that I had, and Sick. and that was it. What sponsor? For me. It was Ice Age Snowboard. So like yeah. Jimmy Scott, Tom Burt, yeah. and got to go on some trips. Got got the shots. Yeah. Had a couple ads with them actually, and and, and respectable shots. Yeah. If I say so myself. Dude. But for me, that was I was like, okay, now I'm ready to quit. Like I'm I, done. I don't need, hanging up the board. I don't need to do anything else. Yeah. Sudbury is a, a wrap. I'm yeah. the I'm the number one Sunbury pro for life. That's it's so dope. weird that it was like that was my my mode, but that was my mode. And so like your motive? My motive was definitely to like prove to the people I'd lied to when I was 16 that I was a good snowboarder. Do you know what I mean? I had that same thing. Yeah, so you tell people like, "Oh, I'm going to Whistler to be the fucking next big pro." Mm-hmm. Then you go to Whistler and actually, I went to Mount Hood and came back, and they're like, how was it? And if I was honest, I would have had to say, I was the worst person there. 
they put me in the worst group and they thought that I was useless. But I came back and I was like, I'm sponsored. They it saw was me. epic. Yeah. It was epic. And yeah. they, I came back with a board and yeah. uh, they gave it to me and they're I'm going to be the next big thing. Dude, I can totally relate to that. For my, for like, like now I have like no problem being like real and talking about publicly in interviews or podcasts about like how little money I made and how like barely hooked up I was throughout my alternate years. Right. When some people might look back and be like, oh, those like Rasmus alternate parts, like probably thought I was like a legit pro snowboarder then. But like I, I like lived this like fake life. Like I was working my ass off at like a fucking hotel in Whistler full time in the summer, part time in the winter and like filming these video parts and just like, like basically pretending to be a pro snowboarder and I want, but still like working my ass off. Yeah. But letting people believe totally that I was something bigger than I was. That's and it amazing. wasn't like I was necessary. Maybe when I was young, like definitely when I was like 18 to like probably 22, I probably lied to some people, probably some girls and like <laughs> and stuff like that. But I don't know. It was more just, I was like living the lifestyle of a real pro and really right. I'd have to bail out and go to work at, you know, like a normal person. <laughs> Right, right. And it's kind it, yeah, of like it's, finally it's, all started to come together. And now, yeah, now nice. that it's like come together for me in the last like five or six years. And now that I like I am a real pro snowboarder, it's funny. Now I'm like so much less inclined to like tell new oh, people that I meet God, them a pro snowboarder. Like random, when I meet random people and I'm traveling and they ask me what I do, like say I work. I was like, oh, I work for some snowboard brands. That's like usually my go-to. Yeah. Because I almost feel weird like being like, oh, I'm a pro snowboarder. <laughs> I don't know why. I'd- no, I understand. I completely understand <laughs> because – you you are what you are. You don't need to sell it to anyone anymore. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Like it, doesn't it matter. comes across as a brag if you're sitting beside someone on a plane mm-hmm. and they're like, "I sell soap," and you're like, "I'm a pro snowboarder." You just yeah, whatever. I work yeah. for these companies. I just and I, it's so nice too when you when like someone doesn't form an opinion of you like right away before they even start talking to you. Yeah, and I know that sounds like weird and maybe no, kind I of understand. cocky in its own way, but like I feel like if you tell someone you're a professional athlete. You you are right away like there's like some sort of mold they're they're making of you before they've even like spoken to you. Yeah, that's that's the thing about snowboarding being in the Olympics, right? Like mm-hmm. that that really is that vibe really changed when it became this Olympic sport and like it was like a, a legit thing, mm-hmm. you know, where moms are like, well, you should have gone in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Oh my <laughs> god, my kid can make some money in yeah, this yeah, snowboarding yeah. thing. Well, we always knew he would be yeah. something. Start flipping, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, you're not yeah. flipping soon enough. Come on, you're ten years old. Time to start doing some double corks. <laughs> well, you you were you mentioned coaching, so that's actually something that. Um, it, it was a really good gauge on where snowboarding was going, right? Like when we would go to camp when we were yeah. kids, you wouldn't duck out for any reason. You were there because you begged your parents to go there. Yeah. And then over the years, it turned into this thing where parents were like, you're going to go to this camp and you're going to get good at snowboarding because mm-hmm. I don't want to work at the grocery store for the rest of my life or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, and um, those kids... I can remember seeing them at Mount Hood being coached and them just like going beside the jumps and the coach going, you got to hit the jumps. Stop turning. I showed you where to straight line straight from, from there. Yeah. Go straight from there. Stop. And then the kids being like, oh, when do we go down? Yeah. Why did I knuckle coach that hurt? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't want to do this. And I think that that really hurt. You know, did you work with Ken at all? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I So I coached for Camp of Champions mm-hmm. for 
four, maybe five summers. Right. Um, Ken's the best. We can agree. Ken is the best, right? Ken Ken is the the kookiest, best, big-hearted dude. He's such a goof, but he's such an awesome dude. Yeah, he's always been that. Yeah, he's great. Forever. And he's he's got as much of, like, you know, people can poke fun at Ken and, like, laugh at some of his eccentricities. Like everyone. We all have eccentricities. Sure, sure. Um, He... Like he started camp for all the right reasons, yeah. And he had he had such a like big role in where Canadian snowboarding is today. Like I have completely, a, I have a lot of respect for Ken. And some people have talked some shit on like what's happened with Camp and Champions recently, and like you know the way everything happened. And it is what it is. At the end of the day, it's Ken's company. And yeah, I anyways, I have a lot of respect for Ken. That's going off track, but yes, I worked for Camp and Champions for four or five years. I yeah. Coach kids in the summer. So you would see gig. this. Did you see the, from did. from the first year to the last year that you were there, like a decline in the engagement of the kids and what was actually going on at camp? When I first started coaching, actually, it wasn't a long enough time period that I really noticed a big okay. change. I just noticed that when I first started coaching, I was like, "Oh wow!" Like the kids these days, like they they ask about Torstein Horgmo and they ask about the McMorrises and then some of them know who the man boys are or like know who we or like know who I am or know watch movies. So right. I noticed like right away when I started coaching, I was like, Oh wow. Like that's what was dope about camp is you, you, I, I, enjoy, I actually enjoyed coaching kids. I mean, obviously sometimes you get shitty kids that are annoying and they don't want to be there, but like I enjoyed coaching the kids that wanted to be there and that were motivated to learn how to snowboard. Like I got a kick out of like, watching them progress and seeing my feedback work for them. I had a lot of fun doing it, but it was also a really good way for pro snowboarders to connect with something they wouldn't else connect with. Like we got a glimpse into like the future. Like yeah. these, this is a generation, like these are just these are kids. Yeah. There's teenagers there and stuff too, but even that is a completely different generation that we're out of touch with. And for a summer we got to hang out with them and like talk to them and see how they thought, see what they were into, see what they, you know, see how they dress, see everything, see what, see what influenced them and and be a bit of an influence on them and one thing that i noticed is that was like the first like sign where i was like whoa like video parts are maybe dying like not a lot of these kids like i came from an era where you wait for movies every year and you go and buy the movies and it was the fucking best watching the dudes that film the video parts and totally in like mac dog movie or absinthe movie or whatever it is like after lame like whatever's you're buying and um when i first started coaching camp and started hanging out with all these like young the new generation of snowboarders i was like wow all they're asking about is like torstein horgmo's recent park edit or where the mcmorris is and right. small percentage of them knew who we were right and yeah that was it was kind of crazy that I was my first realization where i was like whoa what's happening shit's changing there was a podcast about organized sports mm-hmm. and coaches saying like little league numbers are down like 40 percent, which is a lot that's a lot down and it's because um, kids have video game brain now. And not just like they want to play video games, but they're like... they're too good. Video games are too good now. Video games are so good that if a kid's playing a soccer video game and in the, in the game they start to lose by a goal or two, they just hit reset. So when they're really losing in real life by Hard. two or three or four, they just like completely give up mm-hmm. and they just hate it. And then they tell their parents, I don't want to do that anymore. And then the parents go, oh, he doesn't really like that. So I feel like I can draw some parallels with that going back to the social media thing. It's like we're in this age of like constant gratification and no one wants to suck at anything. And, right. And everyone is just living this 
fake polished turd of their lifestyle basically <laughs> yeah that's that true no one's putting out the shit that sucks no one's like like i used to fucking post photos of me working in the summer and like i don't anymore oh, yeah because i'm like oh shit like all my con like I my know. instagram feed is like is like my snowboard outlet now so like, uh, oh yeah. maybe i shouldn't post that personal stuff i used to think it was funny like me covered in paint or whatever whatever sure. i was doing covered in sawdust and like now I'm like oh and girlfriend pics and totally. definitely like yeah. th- it was very right away that people were like you don't post food pics that's just fucking yeah. I'm gonna unfollow you asshole exactly. I don't want to see your dinner I don't want to see the beer you're drinking that should have been the unspoken truth right yeah, from the start stop it yeah. and then it's like now we're at a point where yeah like if I'm like or like post a dumb blurry photo of your friend in the bar because you like yeah. had drinks with him you haven't and seen him in a few yeah. years and like go back to my like, Facebook photos from like my early things are just so random a lot of them are pictures my kids took and just like three of the same photo just like a little different you know like of of a nothing and like i'm just realizing right now there's way less of my family in my feed than ever which is so sad for me because the most important thing is my kids and my who is that feed for that Uh, you just said the most important thing for you yeah is your kids and your wife yeah who is that feed for yeah that's for me so yeah the feed so this is the thing and that that i thought i thought that too and like sometimes like my me and my girlfriend she was like oh you never post photos of me anymore and i kind of explained it to her i'm like like who is that feed for like i have all these like amazing photos on my phone on my computer view and all like the traveling we've done and yeah all the fun times we've had like that's for me to look at like now that there's this new thing that everyone's just trying to show everyone what they're doing and how like, yeah, like I don't want to, I don't need all these random people. Like, right. Like th- that's not for them. It's not like, for them. It's not for them. That's true. So it's not sad. Okay. So you still have those photos, right? I do. You're, yeah. <laughs> you know, but you at the same time, time, when I'm looking at my feed, it's just not what it was. You know what I mean? Yeah, but like, that's just you and someone else is looking at your feed and someone yeah. else that follows you because of the F and rad podcast. Sure. Like, sure. 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 What's Eric up to? What's he posting? Yeah. Like, yeah, you don't need some random people to looking at my hot wife going like, Ooh, exactly. nice fucking bikini on her. Like I, mean, I definitely don't want to put that you out have there. Like you're close, like yeah. 10 or 15 friends. And if you go on vacation with your family and you re- and there's a family photo that you really want some of your friends to see, start a fucking group text and send it to them. Yeah, and that's then, true. And that's, that's how Instagram started. Yeah. I had like 30 followers when I first signed up and it was awesome. Cause I was like, Oh, it's all, all 30 of these yeah. people, I want them to see this. Yes. Now it's not that. Right, 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 right. So, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad we talked that through because I was, I really did for a moment there feel life, like life talks I'm, I'm, fucking, <laughs> I'm blowing it with my, cause yeah, whatever. I got to start another one. That's like just me and my kids and make it private yeah. and only, you let, know what? And only let people follow it that you like want to be. I just there. heard my son say to my daughter, he's 15. She's uh, 19. Mm-hmm. He said, she, she was like, Oh, do you snap with your friends all the time? And he's like, Oh, I have like a few streaks, but I never, I don't even know how there are streaks because I never reply to them. So I don't know how that, this is your son saying this, this is my son old? saying it. And then he goes, but that's the thing with you, Emma, you still have Facebook cause you're old. Oh and I was like, wow, God. yeah, Facebook is just for old kids. I've you know heard I mean? someone say that yeah. recently. Like, yeah, like dude, it's all nobody matched my, my friends in Hawaii. A bunch of them yeah. have like younger kids and one of the, my friend's daughters i said something about facebook and she said basically the same thing to me she's like nobody uses facebook anymore i'm like well how how the hell do you guys communicate instagram dms duh instagram DMs. i'm like okay it's insane <laughs> to see my son's instagram dms and the, there's like there they'll have 15 people in one and 14 in the other and then Jeez. everyone in that 14 
is in the 15 when there's only one person that's not in it and they talk about that person and it's like yeah. I'm like you'd need to not be in any of those yeah. like oh my god that's nasty that's horrifying Ugh, scary time to be a teenager you Eric. know it's scary time to be a dad too I remember I seeing my son's feed they were doing some truth or dare stuff yeah. and I was like oh what the hell is this going to be and they dared one of the girls to like annoy her dad and so she's just like starts slamming shit like ah! oh my he comes God. running in and he goes what the fuck is going on in here <gasps> and like so the, that gets like <laughs> 150 likes right and i'm like don't you ever do that to me youtube please. or are they saying a video that's, to the, each other and that's a that's an instagram video that one was oh so it was God. like they're just like making fun of their parents wow. to each other high school's changed it's insane dude i love it all right. We've I, sometimes I forget like crazy how crazy tangent here, but yeah, yeah go. that's good. I love it. That's what's, yeah. that's what's beautiful about the podcast world is listeners. You can stop at any time. Yeah. If you're sick of hearing this talk, <laughs> you can just clock out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, high school's changed. It's, I feel like it's just changing faster and faster and faster. It doesn't even feel like that long ago that I was in high school, but it was, and right. it's such a different world now. And like, I feel like me and you being in high school. Yeah. Our two high school experiences are probably more relatable than my high school experience compared to your 15-year-old son's high school experience. Oh, yeah, for sure. Even though the, that's a similar time difference. Like, yeah. Did you have a it, phone? You didn't have a phone in high school, did I got, you? I got a phone in, like, the 10th grade, and it, okay. was, it was a shitty little Nokia thing. Flip phone or, like, the just candy just bar or whatever just, it was? Yeah, just candy bar buttons. And you had and to, like, press three times to, to get total L or whatever. One game, snake. Yeah. You, like, move, <laughs> yeah, snake. move, like, the, the fucking the two, the three, and the nine, the six, or whatever. Like, those are the arrow keys. Yeah, it's a super shitty phone. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's just different. I don't think anyone even had a pager when I was, like, literally, there was just no technology. <laughs> If you wanted to talk to someone, you had to call them on the cord phone. Now I'm ter- now I'm that old man. You called on. called your pigeon, yeah, no. tied tied yeah. a note to its leg. Yeah. And Hope you get there, little buddy. <laughs> yeah, but it was still the same social pressures. It's still the same thing. I just yeah. can't imagine. That was the thing. My wife and I were really being hard on my 15 year old because he sneaks his phone into his room at night. Yeah. Because we get him to go to bed at like 10:30 or 11 on a school night. That's like insane for me, but whatever. He's in bed at midnight, and he just can't break the text thing. Because if you're not in Oof. on that text at the end of the night, you're that loser that had your parents took your phone away and you had to go to bed. Oh. So there's, like, that social pressure to be connected all the time. And so, like, I feel bad for him. But at the same time, I'm like, you'll get used to it. Just fucking give me your phone at 10. Yeah, I'm totally. I'm going to lock it up and turn it off. You That's interesting. That I never shit. thought of that because, like, obviously, like, I don't have kids, and I'm, and I'm thinking, like, I have these like views in my head of what I think is right to do. Like, if I ever have a kid, one's totally. it's one day, and I was going to say, like, oh yeah, fuck that, good, take away their phone. But I didn't even think of the fact that all of a sudden they go to school the next day, and it's like, what's your son's name? Bowen. It's like, oh, oh, Bowen. How you didn't answer the group text? Like, oh, you didn't see what we said? Like, no, oh, would your dad take your phone away? Like, there's that aspect of it too. Totally. Like, all of a sudden, he's the loser that didn't. Mm-hmm. That's, and kids are gnarly to each other. They're so mean. So They're so homophobic mean. still. I, I was really. I was shocked to find that out. I couldn't believe it. I thought like I thought we're all we're like past that. Mm-hmm. I thought like being a parent, trying to be a progressive mm-hmm. thinker, especially on gender norms. It's like do what yeah. you do. Yeah. But I mean, there's a lot to keep up with now. There though, 
but it's still the same thing. Yeah. It's still the exact same thing. Like if you advocate for for, you know, just equality, then people label you like, "Oh, that guy must be gay." Mhm. And it's they're still shitty to each other. Their kids are just shitty. Yeah. They And there's <laughs> that thing too. It's like and phones and social media don't help this too. It's like kids kids have always been shitty to each other. Totally. But I watched this Louis C.K. skit once and he put it so perfectly. It's like it was different when you would say something shitty and you're looking at the person's face yeah. and you see their face change and you're like, ooh, that kind of hurt. I can tell I hurt their feelings. Like, that kind of sucked. Maybe right. I won't say it like that next time. But compared to just, like, commenting or sending something in a group text, like, even me as, like, a fucking 30-year-old adult, like, sometimes me and my friends have group texts about, like, whatever, like, something we're like doing or something and then it'll kind of like go into poking fun and someone will say something and like sometimes you're like oh fuck that sucked mm-hmm. i wonder if like they thought about that before they said it because it's completely different yeah sending something as a message or as a comment than just like saying it to someone's face do you guys ever get negative comments that are trolls on your accounts that you have to just like do you delete them what do you do if someone's like I saw Solars up in Whistler and he fucking snubbed me he's a dickhead and then you're like what do we leave that there Mm. Or does that just not happen? Much it has happened. Yeah, there's. I've seen some negative comments. It's super rare, but at least me. We all share the Man Boys Instagram account. We all run it together. Yeah. At least me personally, I've never. I've seen negative comments and just left them. Right. I think like leave them for other people to see. Whatever it is, what it is. Maybe if it started getting like super bad, I'd feel inclined to delete them. But. Yeah, we're fortunate enough that we haven't had too much of that. I feel like we, we we're had like lucky. this like like very like super like Christian account once. Yeah, giving us a bunch of shit in our YouTube comments, but it's, <laughs> they they actually started. It was like this Christian snowboarding account from Alaska, and like I think they I'm follow thinking, me because I'm Shred Jesus. But Shred Jesus is just like it, yeah, that's yeah. A, a guy up here gave me that name. He's Shred Judas. You there know what I mean? Go. Like yeah. it's like. It's just a silly name. Like, Do you I'm, remember what they're called? Like, oh, it was something with Jesus in the name, though. Yeah, and, yeah, and they're yeah, it's like an Alaska snowboard. Group oh, there's somebody there's... listening to it right now. That's like a part of that group going, "Oh, he's talking about yeah. us." And like nothing against Christianity. Like, if you, everyone's allowed, to no, have it's kind of dumb. Honestly, I'm sorry. I grew up Christian, and it's kind of a dumb thing. I, I I've been up... I've been really like thinking about it a lot lately. And it's sorry to all our Christian believers out there. And then. There are I, some. I grew, I grew up Christian. Yeah, but I agree with you. There, there are it's, some some guys that have been on the show that are heavy Christians. Jim Rippey mm-hmm. is big time into it, and would will you know? I'm sorry, I don't believe what you believe, but I don't think that means anything between the two of us. He yeah. seems like smart enough to be like, you know what? I believe in this thing. It works for me. Yeah. That's and and my mom is super hella religious. Yeah. And if it's working for her, I mine too. I, I really want her to get the positivity out of it that she gets but for me i'm looking at it going it's the santa story you told me when i was five santa's not real it's the same story Mm -hmm. but it's real now all of a sudden and it's the same with all these different religions like all these different religions have like a messiah have a savior Mm -hmm. it's all the same Mm -hmm. thing and it like fundamentally like some religions can be good because they can maybe give humans some order in this weird era of overpopulation that just like maybe it gives some order and gives like a good rule book. But when it comes down to like people trying to control people, right. Trying to like convert all these people. And it just, it just, that was the last straw for me with the last straw. Wasn't the conversion thing. It was just the the simple thought. And this goes back to Jess's 
uh, interview, the simple thought that if your religion has at the top an elite group of white old men, it was probably made up by white old men. For sure. If there's no women or if women are substandard, yeah. it is probably made up by white old men. If there's no black people at the top of your religion, yes. you have a bullshit religion. I'm sorry, you just do. If there's not like an equal number of like prodigal children yes. that are like, oh, this kid really gets it. Yeah. He's moved way up or she's moved way up the ladder. <laughs> then it is just old white men. Then I'm sorry, your, your religion is yeah. more than likely made up by old white men. I'm just that's just me riffing on religions. My I was raised Christian too, and I remember yeah. my first turning point was be, like being a super young teen, like maybe 12, 13 years old or something, and just like before sleep, like thinking about like oh these questions, like oh God is real, or like what about this? Or like this is kind of fucked up about that story. Like how does that make sense? And then feeling guilty in my head mm-hmm. before I go to bed, feeling like I needed to apologize to God and like say a prayer to God. And I remember a turning point being like, wait a minute, what's wrong with that scenario? Like my brain's developing and I'm just like having questions and like I'm taught that to like don't question anything. Yeah. No matter how crazy it seems, everything that your Lord Jesus and God is, this is just right. Sure. So I remember that was my turning point and like probably just like moving to Western and finding my way and not just being raised in a Christian family anymore. Right. Making different friends. Right. But yeah, like, but anyways. Being this, an adult, this, thinking being about a, it. Thinking about it, meeting different people, and just thinking logically about it and not just yeah. being like, I'm on this team. Right. And that's, it's, just, it's all just a fucking team. It is. And sure. so there's, there's this one group that was like, for going back to the trolling thing, he's been trolling me since like my alternative video parts, just like talking shit. And then he did this like super like funny review on like depth perception where he like, put the whole depth perception on movie movie on youtube and did a voice recording over it basically talking about what he liked about depth perception and then anytime something popped up that like didn't agree with his like super serious christianity like he's like talking shit on like robin van Jin. like here's the classic like modern age of um of you know the the man woman trying to empower the female but the lord jesus christ says like Women should submit, and man, is, it was so oh. fucked, so misogynistic, and it, it, the whole thing was just unreal, right? Unreal. That's and like so. I don't know who this dude is, but when, like at a certain point, it's like, yeah, I, I agree that everyone's entitled to having their own opinions and own religions, but it's like when you were posting shit like that, yeah, it's like I'm sorry, dude. This isn't faith in action. I'm calling him out. Faith in action. Faith That's, in I just action. remembered it. That's his YouTube account. Yeah. Sorry, dude, <laughs> but keep your shit to yourself because. Or go. We're, we're go, not chasing after you. Yeah, go get faith based stuff. Go yeah, do faith based stuff. Just because you're a Christian snowboarder doesn't mean that you can fucking rip apart. Like, I know Robin Vengeance personally, and she is one of the most awesome girls I know. Hell yeah. And, and she is far from a lady man. She's a very attractive, like, awesome chick. Yep. So take your. <laughs> her, yeah, her part in depth perception your, was great. Yeah, I, I said that She's after a, I saw that show, I, I, I made a point of saying to her, it was nice to see a see someone who was invited. Mm-hmm. You know, like Jess is uninvited. She was invited. Yeah. And just it's so clear that she was in her element up there. Mm-hmm. Like they were, it's not they didn't have to do a separate part. And now here's a girl doing this. No, she just was, rode she's right beside them. them. Rode the great. same pillow fields yeah. as them. How and, cool is that? For that was, sure. She's, I love that. That was that was like and, epic. And she's also like I, I really like having conversations with Robin about it is like she's not 
I have a hard time with some like super feminist girls when they're that like don't even aren't even willing to admit that like our bodies are structured differently. Uh oh. You know? You're touching on what I I used to think I, this and I don't think it anymore. What, it's what it's I'm about in, to say? Yeah. I mean just the structure on the bodies. Well, it's it's it, it is. Uh, yeah, but we're okay. We can do, we exist on a, but we yeah. Like, sure, sure, there sure. is sure. Like, science is science. Yeah, and and like even if you if you take a man and a woman, if you take fifty men, fifty women, and they both grow up eating the same thing, like mm-hmm. men are generally just a little bit like. But you're going to get stronger. some fat men, and you're going to get some thin men. You're going to get some girly men, and you're going to get some manly men. For sure. You, what, where I was going with this is, is Robin's not the type of girl that's going to deny no. okay. biological uh, yeah. differences. Yeah, yeah, I understand. She, she is going to. Robin accepts those biological yeah. differences and fucking is still just a beast she and charges rips. and yeah. just like. She's not going to try and be like, no, like, women. I just get frustrated with the feminist thing sometimes. And it's like, no, women are being held back. And, and it's like, well, yes, they are yeah. for sure. But then there's also some biological differences that. I'm going to repeat this because it begs repeating now. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to tell it to you. And if it doesn't go in the show, it doesn't. Okay. When I realized that the CFL and the NFL are, that's men, right? Yeah. And the difference between a CFL like the top paid CFL player compared to the NFL, the top paid NFL player every single year since those two um, have existed, take the top NFL guy and put him in CFL. He would crush like so badly. Mm-hmm. It's not because Canadians are less masculine than, than Americans because they haven't been provided with the opportunity. They haven't been provided with the money, with the incentives. It's a matter mm-hmm. of incentives. Like mm-hmm. so, those guys train more because they don't have to work fucking jobs on weekends in the afternoons and in the off season. Yeah, like which that's true. CFL guys get paid forty grand a year, and some of them, and then they work at Home Depot in the off yeah. season instead of working out all the time on an NFLer's um, pay, and that creates this difference between men. Mm-hmm. That's the same exact difference that we've created. Between men and women. So mm-hmm. if you had a girl that grew up from a little girl to a big girl that trained the same as somebody, as a man who has the same body type as hers. So, you know, there are some women that are going to have different body types than, a, yeah. than other women. You know, it, the it, the gender thing, if you actually look at the Olympics, that's where gender became an actual scientific thing. Right. Gender... It is a broad spectrum, bro. Like there is like feminine men and masculine women. For sure. And and it's not just like one, two, three, four, five. There's like a million variables. So you could not every man can be the best fucking snowboarder. No. But they need to have a body type and an environment they grow up in, and the, and Sean White's parents, and they have to have yeah, yeah, totally. you know what There's I mean. So many. Things so if going. there was a girl who had the same body type and the, and Sean White's parents, she mm-hmm. could be as good as Sean White. Here's the proof: there isn't a fucking man on the planet that was a pro pro snowboarder up until ninety five, two thousand that could beat Chloe Kim in the pipe. Fuck no. There's a person. There's a person no. on the planet that could beat Chloe Kim doesn't matter that she's a girl mm-hmm. and now if she could have been what why wasn't there a chloe kim in the 98 olympics mm-hmm. because the the resources weren't there there weren't the boards okay, there I'll, wasn't that you know what i'm saying yeah no i'll stop you and yeah i please. will i will bite my tongue and be like that was a very well delivered argument on that fact because that's the that's the first time 
I've heard it broken down like that. I really liked your metaphor comparing the CFL and the NFL. Yeah, man. That hit home and made a lot of sense. I was Thanks. like, oh, yeah. Cause, and that hit home for me, too, because that's how I feel being a Canadian snowboarder and yeah. having to work through my whole career. I feel Fuck like I could yeah. have been training and practicing more. And I feel like that's the same thing with like totally. women, women and it men is. It's in sports. And then also thing. the one that really hit home was the Chloe compar- comparison. Yeah. Or even Jamie Anderson, for that matter. It's yeah. like, take what they're doing now. It's not like females bodies are changing from what they were in the 90s they're still the same females same so that is a fucking really good point eric and thanks buddy that is that that was enough to make me like more or less change my mind at i, I do still it. i do still stand with yeah. the fact that there are biological differences Hell to yeah. the way that we develop like absolutely women grow big tits and we have broader shoulders generally sure. i i still stand strong to that but yeah. those points are so fucking sick yeah, and i, understand. And I, thanks, I agree man. that that they it needs to be said right back. now because, like, it, what's happening is this kind of anti-feminist thing. For sure. Because there's a lot of feminists that don't know why they're so fucking mad. There's a lot of, there's yeah. a lot of bad feminists. There's a lot, the of bad there's feminists. a lot of bad There's a lot of feminists that make them look bad. Yeah. Because there's a lot of good men. Mm-hmm. There's tons. Most of the people that I know yeah. are fucking good dudes. There's not yeah. that ass-slapping Harvey Weinstein yeah. guy in regular day-to-day anymore. Totally. Not as much. But it's still there. Yeah. And it's we've got a long way to go. But a lot of the feminist movement is not moving in that direction. It's mm-hmm. moving in a just angry, all men fucking suck kind of direction. Yeah, so that's which is too for, bad because then it guys, gets like yeah. guys that are good guys yeah. feeling defensive. Yeah, yeah. And that, yeah. it's not good. Whereas like if, if you took like that whole argument or rather for lack of a better term uh, – not speech. Analogy, Basically, that whole analogy sure, yeah. you gave me was yeah. like so good. I wish, I wish there was a version of that for any time. Someone who wasn't a misogynist, but someone who was annoyed with the right. the crazy feminist anti men movement, because that was a really good. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, thanks, man. I, that, no, I, I, because because I'm on the side of like I'm I'm so like I love seeing women six like succeed in action sports like fuck yeah there this maui event that just happened with women's women surfing yeah was one of the sickest women surf events in a while they had good conditions the girls all charge really big waves they all surf really well like so sick for women surfing so i'm on that side but then i also am on the side where i'm like getting frustrated with the fuck man right. fuck man fuck right. man this and you know well, even even that surf it, competition i'm just going out on a limb and guessing mm-hmm. but are they going to give the bigger waves to the men or the women like on the big well, day are the yeah. women going to get the big big day or are so they going to save it for the men that's the thing for for this event like the women got like really sick conditions they got the big day and it Dumb. and it fucking showed because all these girls it wasn't like oh look the women can't handle it. it can't handle it it was like look at how good all these women surfed fuck yeah and so all these chicks are just charging on these yeah. like heavy waves like hitting the lip in like super critical sections and like fucking snapping and floating and like air dropping into the flats and stomping it like it was fucking really women are coming up in sports it's gonna happen and I'm it's uh, yeah. super impressed with obviously two sports that connected me surfing and snowboarding i'm really impressed with where women's surfing and wing snowboarding is going right now i feel like right now it's in like a crazy place that's rad but and, and also another thing happening in women's surfing right now i'm pretty sure that next year will be the first year where all competitive women's surfing same cash prizes as the men that's what it needs to be that's what it needs to be okay that's that's epic you, do you want to wrap it up what do we got what do you have to to hit on the yeah totally i mean what i mean so yeah if, if anyone's like if any of the listeners are curious like what i'm up to right now like yeah i guess i would say this year was my first like blow up year that I keep talking about never having a blow up year. So like, I'm super stoked. I'm super motivated right now. 
It's well deserved. Keep going with, yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate that. We're going to keep going with Man Boys. I'm probably going to do some stuff with Travis again next year. We have our Truffle Pig short film coming out December 6th. Still really love snowboarding. I'm still having a lot of fun doing this. And Fuck yeah. people keep on asking me, like, what's next, man? What's next, man? And I'm like, lots. I have so many more goals. Like, <laughs> just, you know, when you just said that you're, when we first got here and you're like, your early record got three covers in one month. Like, I just got two covers in one month. And as soon as you said that, yeah. I was like, oh, maybe I can try and get three. Like, Do that'd it. Be sick. Yeah, man. So, I don't know. It's I'm, harder now, for sure. It is. There's, there's less print. There's but, less print. There's but, way um, less print. But fuck yeah, dude. But yeah, I'm, I'm stoked. And I, Jenny, I don't know how many listeners are listening to us right now, but I always appreciate the fans, the people who support and like what I do. I do read the comments, and I, <laughs> you guys are awesome. So thank you for <laughs> watching me snowboard and, and like allowing me to do what I do. That's epic. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Eric. F and Rad shoutouts this week to all the amazing listeners who've reached out since the Jess episode with encouragement for this direction of the show. I'm starting to find my voice, I think, and I'm definitely excited to do more interviews in this long-form conversation format. I'm having a lot of fun. One last time, I'll remind you the Waffle House of Snowboards raffle for a wired snowboard. There are only 12 tickets left at this time. Tickets are 20 bucks, so join the Facebook group and buy a ticket and hold your breath, and you'll maybe win a wired board any size, any shape they make, and you choose whatever graphic you want for the top sheet. Second prize is a Dekine Heli Pro backpack, and if the waffle sells out, we draw for a tribute hoodie. Special thanks to Dekine for gearing me up this year with Gore-Tex outerwear and gloves and backpacks to give away to our listeners. Tribute Board Shop in Nelson, BC has given me hoodies and hats for listeners, and they gave me my new favorite mid-layer, a Patagonia Micro Puff Zip hoodie. It's so warm and cozy. I want you to go to tributeboardshop.com and get yourself some gear. Thanks for listening. I love you all. Be sure to come back next week for another episode of the F and Rad Snowboarding Podcast brought to you by SIA Productions. <laughs>